You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history of Star Wars The Clone Wars by discussing each and every episode and episode arc. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Kieran. How are you doing this week, Kieran? I'm very, very well, thank you, Dominic. I've just recently come back from university. I'm at home now, and parents are probably thinking, what the hell am I doing because I've never listened to this show before, <laughs> and they've been hearing me and Dominic do... Very weird impressions. What 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 knows they'll be thinking when people are going, yeah, 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 and they're hearing stuff like that <laughs> right now. Thinking, what is going on up there? But yes, yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And just want to quickly commend on the Star Wars Underworld podcast on Thursday. I, I couldn't listen. I couldn't listen in live, unfortunately. But it was a very good show, and I was mightily impressed with the Jar Jar impressions of Mr. Dominic Jones himself, as along with. Mr. Benjamin Hart, I can't leave him out as well. It was very, very entertaining. Yes, well, there's only one thing I can say to that. Um, Miss, I would just like to thank you so for your some bombad kind words about the Jar Jar impressions. Why, thank you, Mr. Bink. So there you Yes. Yes, Miss, I'm most excited to be listening to this in podcast where you sir will be discussing the episodes about Cad Ben. Oh, he's a bombad bounty hunter. Uh, anyways, <clears throat> yes, thank you, Jar Jar, you can, thank you, leave, uh, yep, oh, wait, yeah, no, you have to take two lefts and a right, yeah, alright, see you later, bud, is he, right. is, is he gone anyways, now? yeah, he's gone now, thankfully, that. uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully, uh, Dr. Nouveau Vindy or somebody doesn't show up later, um, yeah, close the door anyways, behind you, please, uh, Mr. Vindy, yeah, <laughs> thank you, right, he's gone, that's good, alright, fantastic, excellent, alright, uh, let's, like Jar Jar said there, we'll be talking about the Cad Ban arc from the beginning of season Two, um, last week we discussed the Ryloth arc, and I know, just in case you're wondering, hey, wait a minute, what the hell happened to cost the hostage crisis? Well, don't worry, we will be talking about that one, but that one is actually later on in the timeline. Remember, we do the show in the chronological order um, of the episodes, not in the air airing order, not in the way they aired on Cartoon Network and then later Netflix. Uh, although by the time they got to Netflix, they were all in chronological order, thankfully. Um, so yeah, we were talking about the episodes Holocron Heist. Um, Cargo of Doom and Children of the Force. And Kieran, do you have episode descriptions for us? I do, and you'll be glad to know they're very short this time. Uh, I thought the last oh, time they were very long. Unfortunately, there are a couple of sentences. Right, let's start then. So, Holocron Heist. Cad Bane has been hired by Darth Sidious to steal a Jedi Holocron. Recruiting a changeling posing as a Jedi in his plot, Bane infiltrates the building's security systems and leads Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka on a chase. Next one, Cargo of Doom. Anakin and Ahsoka intercept Cad Bane's warship, hoping to recover the, the stolen Jedi holocron, but the Jedi underestimate the bounty hunter's cunning tactics. And finally, uh, this is Children of the Force. Darth Sidious has a new dark assignment. 
kidnap four sensitive children from across the galaxy and bring them to Mustafar. And uh, that's it. <laughs> it was nice and short and concise. That's what I was aiming for. Nice, short and sweet. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. So let's just start off. Uh, what were your initial impressions of this arc, and then your impressions having rewatched it now? Did they change at all? Or uh, I, I always enjoyed this arc. If I was being honest, it was certainly one at the beginning of season two that was massive action-packed start. Again, after we just come off off this crisis. I know this is chronological order, but uh, <laughs> even if we were coming off the Ryloth fight, that was, again, very action-packed. But you'd had the year break or the, the summer semester, so to speak, and then you come back and it was straight into the action. Uh, but more importantly, I thought it was just involving so many of the major players. It it was a side story from the war itself, in a way, because it wasn't involving clones against droids, but it certainly involved the Jedi and the, and, and really the how, how their order is working the processes within inside that and when we talk, touch upon the holocrons and the Sith's evil plan of Darth Sidious he was involved quite prominently in this arc as well but we've also got the underworld of Cad Bane and Cato Parasiti yeah. and all of, all of those good stuff that's, uh, that was in this arc I just thought it was a great arc at, at the inauguration time of when I saw this but more importantly when I look back and watch this I still thought it held up so much and I I I got fully engrossed in it, if I'm being honest. I, I found it very difficult to note-take when I first watched this because I was just looking at the episodes, <laughs> observing them, and I thought, I can't I can't note-take and enjoy it. Oh, there's too much. So I just had to watch it all and then come back and write notes. And that, to me, is obviously um, a fundamental illustration of this fact this story was such an interesting, action-packed, great arc. Um, what were your initial thoughts, Dominic? Oh yeah, no, I, I loved it, and and part of this argument re- revisiting it was it was very fun for me because it it brought back all this nostalgia for me from when I was really just starting to get back into into Star Wars fandom and stuff, and just you know having because when I first watched Clone Wars, you know, I saw the movie. And it was at, sort of at a time where I was sort of like, I like Star Wars, but I don't want to be a super fan. I got to move on with my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I, I sort of, and so I sort of would watch the series intermittently and didn't, and sort of fell off the wagon about midway through season one, not because it was bad or anything, just mm-hmm. that's kind of the way things played out. And, uh, but when I came back to, to Star Wars fandom and in uh, late 2009, early 2010, I was sort of, I started listening to to the Forcecast and 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 the Clone Wars Roundtable, and of course, uh, you know, Jason and Jimmy Mack now doing Rebel Force Radio, and and just sort of, and listening to them talk about it, and I listened to their year in review show for two thousand nine, and they talked about this arc as it like being something really special with with Cad Bane and and all of this stuff, and I, I felt like I really <laughs> I really had to get back into the series, and so it was kind of kind of that. You know, it brought me back to that sort of fun time of just sort of rediscovering all of the awesomeness of, of Star Wars, and then I rewatched the the, the um, what you might call it, the bonus feature that came with this mm. arc, um, and and also that you know it took me back to you know right after Celebration Five, pretty much, and you know that day when when the season two DVD came out and. It was also the day that the Force Unleashed two came out, and it's just sort of a—it was a really fun nostalgia mm. trip, to be perfectly honest. And on top of that, you get fantastic episode episodes for all the reasons that you pointed out. You know, Cad Bane—you got this sort of a side story from the war. Darth Sidious, kind of—we find out 
about the kyber crystal, mm. which is something that has been involved in Star Wars since really the very beginning. We sort of see the definitive version of what it actually yeah. is, uh, which is very, very different from what it was back in the 70s. So it, it's an incredible arc, and I, I'm really happy to, to rewatch it. And, you know, it it only got better as time went on, I mean, to be perfectly honest. And, it's, and, you know, even though it wasn't our... our real introduction to Cad Bane. It was a fantastic introduction to Cad Bane. Oh, well. yeah. I, I could just, um, just echo the him. thoughts as well that you said with um, the Force cast because uh, I, I guess I'll compliment them in, in this particular arc because you've just mentioned it as well. And that, that's really been one of the main threads that have, has really, at, at the at the inauguration point, really um, got me back into Star Wars. Again, as you said, I really, I, I'd always, I've watched this on and off um, on season one when I first aired back here in britain which is 2008 2009 now uh, and i've watched a bit of season two but there was the one round table that i remember which was about the night sister trilogy and that's obviously going to be a great one and we'll talk about that a little bit uh in in a few weeks time i it's just i have to applaud them for that and whether they listen to this or not i could just say i compliment them very much for all the work they've done particularly in star wars because they certainly rejuvenated it for me and I, I probably, and yeah, as, as, as you said as well, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Uh, I don't know if you yourself would have been here, Dominic, uh, as, as the... No, definitely as, not. <laughs> definitely not. I mean, I, I, you know, I barely knew what a podcast was. I sort of knew it as a way to, you know, if you missed a, a radio show, you could, could download, <laughs> download it afterward. And it was called a, a podcast. And I didn't quite understand it. My dad listened to a few, but I didn't really know what a podcast was and then I, I stumbled across them and and you know have had the the pleasure of meeting them and and you know uh doing a little bit of of work with them in the past of you know uh through the star wars underworld and just some of the stuff that we've done with them uh you know we've helped them promote smugglers gambit mm-hmm. and and all kinds of fun stuff like that and, and jimmy mack was actually on an episode of the star wars underworld podcast way back or, well not way back but about a Two yeah, years ago, I remember now, that I would one. say, or, or no, a year ago. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't be on that episode. I was really unhappy. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to ask them to come on this show. That would That'd be, be fun. great. That would be fun. Uh, but who knows? So stay tuned yeah. for that. <laughs> but let's let's uh let's uh this isn't the Force Cast. Rebel Force Radio Strikes no, Back. No. Um, this is the Clone War. The Clone War Strikes Back. Yeah, we are. Make change um, from the rants that uh, we start with at the beginning. We give a nice compliment yeah. to other formats. Yes. So that's what's happening here. So everyone here is probably thinking, "What's going yeah. on? Where's well, Dominic's rant?" Well, unfortunately, we haven't got one, uh, which probably proves more than anything yeah. else that. Uh, um, Dominic's initial thoughts on this arc of uh, obviously very high, <laughs> very positive. Yeah, I was, you know, sat down to record the show, and one of the first things Karen says to me, I can't wait for your rant. I'm like, I don't have one. There's nothing too bad. There's nothing bad in this, these episodes. There's and not even that everything anything is bad. There's nothing really to nitpick yeah. that I can really find. There's there's lots of interesting stuff to discuss, but there's nothing like you know Commander Ahsoka or or, or things like that. You know, it's it's just. They they really perfected this arc, and you know, I was just sort of to talk about how perfect this arc was in the the bonus feature that comes with it. Killian Plunkett, who was one of the designers on the show, was talking about when he read the script. He's like, "Why isn't this two episodes? Why isn't this two episodes?" When he was talking about Children mm-hmm. of the Force, and you know, I, in one sense, I agree with him that yes, it's, there's definitely enough material in here for two episodes, but at the same time. 
you know, it, it worked so well just in the 22 yeah. minutes. It, it really played out very well. You know, there are other episodes where we think, yeah, they really needed two episodes. C- case in point would be Shadow yeah. Warrior from season four. As, as good an episode as that was, it needed a little bit more. It needed another 20 minutes to <laughs> really give us a, a satisfactory ending. But with this one, there's so much going on and there is a lot of, you know, rushing around, but there never felt like Wait, we needed to spend a little bit more time on that that emotional beat or on, on this planet to fully understand what's going on. It's like it played out so well. It was, you know, it, you know, it, 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 in a way it felt longer than it was. And that's not to say it was boring. Like, you know, when you watch a boring movie, it's like, you know, your, your watch seems to move at, at you know, two seconds for the, the time of one second, you know, or you know, one second when it should be two seconds. You know, it's it felt like the right amount of time and it, it really worked very well. Um, yeah, so let's, let's jump into, to this arc. It opens up on Felucia, the planet Felucia, which we saw briefly in Revenge of the Sith. And, uh, we see there's an all-out battle going on between the, the Jedi and the Separatists. And the Separatists are winning, you know? <laughs> this is one of those rare occasions where the Separatists are winning. And we see Ahsoka, you know, she's off doing a little side battle, and she thinks she's winning. And, uh, she doesn't realize what's fully going on. And, and Obi-Wan and Anakin are like telling her to, to, to flee, to, to escape. This is time to, to retreat, to retreat. And she just doesn't want anything to do with this. So we see her being really stubborn. And, you know, she really, she kind of blames Anakin with the whole, you know, but Master Skywalker told me never to retreat, uh, when, when the tinnies are on the run. I think that's the line. Anyways, you know, it's, it's, whereas Anakin is, you know, screaming at her to retreat in this scenario. It's a very much, it's the Anakin and Soka do as I say, <laughs> not as I do scenario. Um, I'm curious, what do you think of that little scene? Yeah, I, I completely agree with your point now. I thought hip, hypocrit- hypocritical Anakin once again is, uh, is brought yes. to the table. <laughs> he, he seems to pop up quite a lot, uh, from the last couple of arts we discussed, as we said in Storm Over Ryloth was a prominent example of that. But I can understand why, from her perspective, she thought she was winning. It's really just more naivety, though. Uh, she's obviously still a Padawan, and people obviously have to remember that. Uh, I, if there was a negative reception to saying, oh, why did Ahsoka do this? She just listened to Anakin and Obi-Wan. Well, she's still a Padawan. She's young, and she's being put into a war zone here. When you're seeing that the Tinnies are on the run, as, as, as she um, labeled, it, labeled them as, then in her perspective she believes that the whole army's on the run she doesn't really have that big picture perspective yet that we see in the later mm-hmm. seasons down the line when she starts to grow up and really understand what's happening in this war and when she's and, but now when she's in battle here she's still as i said she's young uh naive and i can really understand why she would be there and obviously when you're being tutored by anakin um, I, I could completely under I could completely understand why she's saying the same things as he is, <laughs> but I I do I do feel a bit for her because she she does care and you see her facial expression when she goes on the gunship uh, with Obi Wan and Anakin and and uh, uh, what exactly was that transport thing she was on? It looked very cool, I have to say. But I what was it a Republic Walker or something maybe? Oh, I'm I'm struggling to yeah. Think. It was a a, tur- a turbo, turbo tank. tank. Turbo yeah. tank? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's so, so, it. So, someone could uh, message uh, this, that after we post this up then and say, yeah. no, it's, it's not that. 
this, this, okay. So uh, apologies <laughs> if we got that wrong. But anyway, the point was when that blew up, you know, she was on the gunship and she, you know, her face looked down and she definitely looked very somber and, and remorseful, whereas Anakin just looked very yeah. stern and angry towards her. So I can, I can see her point of view there. And I, she, all I could say is she's still young, really. Um, I don't know. Would you go along with that? Yeah, no, de- definitely. You know, Anakin even says, you know, he remember he forgets that Ahsoka is so young, and it's kind of like the audience is, is feeling the same way because uh, she is. I mean, we we have we've seen her as you know a hero um, several times in season one, and then it's just a good to remind us that she is still fourteen or, or maybe fifteen at this point. So she's still you know pretty young kid, and. As she's fighting this war, um, she's bound to screw up a little bit, and she does, and it winds up costing her, and, and you know, that's kind of, it, it was important to see that, that she's not infallible, and that the Jedi aren't infallible, and that they, they fail this war, <laughs> that they fail in this battle on Felucia, and, but just going back to, to Anakin and, and Ahsoka, and the do as I say, not as I do, that's pretty much the, the theme for this, these first two episodes, at least, because there are, there are several times in Cargo of Doom where, or, you know, Anakin is yelling at Ahsoka not to do something that he would totally do, and she's yelling at him not to do something that she had just done. It's very much a, a, a imbalance mm. between the two of them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then we see Ahsoka gets placed on guard duty on the, um, the, uh, the, the Jedi temple. She's basically, she's in charge of guarding the library, the, 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 the library. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Yeah, apparently. We... Well, Joe Gustin knew needed some guarding in this episode. Let's just yeah, say, yeah, throw yeah. that out there. <laughs> um, but what I was thought was very interesting is I, lo- I love that Ahsoka mentions that there are texts that are forbidden to be read, and that's one of those those just those little Star Wars moments where it's completely it's a throwaway line and has nothing to do with the episode, but it just you know it sets up something like there's a possibility for something else to come down the line that there are these texts that are not to be read, and even if there even if nothing else even if nothing comes from that, you get the sense that there's just it's just one of those things like. What could those possibly be? What could those possibly be? And I remember reading a, a young adult novel, and it was, it was, I think Count Dooku, um, and some friend of his, and, and this friend winds up going to the dark side before Dooku does. And it's, you know, it's not the best series, but there was a the sequence Yarpe. where he, where this friend of Dooku, <laughs> no, <laughs> where this, this friend of Dooku's, um, reads one of those texts, and, is quite, um, you know, tormented by what he sees and winds up, you know, going mm. to the dark side. It was, it was, it was one of, just one of those sequences that it kind of yeah. made me think of that. But I I just love this concept that there are these secrets. It's kind of like the, the restricted section in, in Harry yeah. Potter, you know, in, the, in the, the library there. You know, I'd love to see them try to open up one of those hollow books and have it just have some face <laughs> pop out of it and scream at them like in, <laughs> like in Philosopher's Stone. I yeah, that as well. <laughs> Pretty um, great. She makes a mention that only the Jedi Council members are allowed in the vault itself. Now, the only thing I, w- I want to question that yeah. is how exactly is that measured? Because they use the force to open the door to have like an identification for someone's hand. So like Ahsoka tried to open it I... with the force, but it just say, nope, access denied, Padawan, learner. That's a... <laughs> 
that is a very, that's that's that, I think that's a pretty re- reasonable explanation because there's obviously some kind of sensor there. So you know, any Jedi could figure out sort of the password, or maybe you know the way you spin it to spin the thing is is like your code. It's like your pin pad. It's like your pin for for your bank account. You know, only Kit Fisto uh, can only sp- you know spin the thingy his way, whereas Obi Wan has a completely different you know combination of of stuff to do. Uh, and and they just you know once you get made a master you get to go over to the to the vault and put in your personal spinny force oh, I'd love to see thing. how that works like when I don't someone know. becomes a master what else are they doing? <laughs> like you're allowed twenty four hour access into the Jedi library and all of these perks as a as a consequence of being a master you are now allowed to go into the vault. I, mean, I don't understand what they do in the vault anyway yeah. because there's just oh, holocrons in there which are, can't be read unless you have the kyber crystal which this polar pole has and we'll, I guess we'll come on to him a little bit later well I, I i think i think each holocron has their own crystal like uh, and you know there's probably there's a section for to get the holocrons and then there's uh, probably another vault where all the crystals are kept or something you know and they then they take the two back to their quarters and they sit down on the floor and do the meditating thing and put it all together and then they have their information they can read it that's okay. that's how i uh, imagine it in my mind i think could be something completely no, I different that makes sense actually um, like that, i don't know how but somehow yeah. dad bane when it was we'll come on to this again later when he does manage to get the holocron and the crystal combined together then he's able to read it but Again, that, that that's just me being devil's yeah, exactly. advocate more than anything else. I, 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 I want to see the scene where <laughs> Campaign's trying to read that. It's like, oh, it's not quite English, well, the- but, oh, God, where's my translator droid? God, there's Toto 360. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I'm... Oh, wait, I blew him up. Um, there's actually... There's a, there's a deleted scene from... Uh, the second episode, although I think it's probably more from the third episode, that showed Cad Bane in escaping in the clone starfighter, the whatever they're called, and he had the holocron there, and he was reading it like he could, he was just going through the list of all the children, and just and he said something, you know, ah, your future is now under my control, or something, you know, some kind of Cad Bane line. I, I can't remember exactly, and you know, it wasn't wasn't finished um you know the animation was still very rough you know his, his lips weren't moving or anything and it wasn't even cory burton doing the line it was one of those things that was cut very early on um but it was uh it, there there was a scene of him trying to read it that ultimately wound up on the cutting room floor S- sticking with cad bane um uh, let's just talk about him what'd you think of him <laughs> right off the bat well well, well, I can't, well, I don't know what else I could say that's so good about Cad Bane. He's just such a cool villain, really, isn't he? I mean, it's so difficult, though, to have to consider this arc as his inauguration arc, his, his first arc that he that would be introduced to him, bearing in mind we'd already seen him in Hostage Crisis. So he already knew how much of a badass he was, but this just really amplified this uh, the notion of him being yeah. just so malevolent, uh, but so cool as well. He was He's definitely the... He's definitely the Boba Fett of the prequels, if uh, that if, if, if that, yeah. that makes sense, or, or at least of, at least of the Clone well, Wars. I'd, yeah, I'd place him higher than Django yeah. Fett. Although this is madness, disagrees with me. But I yeah. honestly <laughs> think Cad Bane was, yeah. was, was what a lot of people wanted to see in the films. If I'm being honest, in terms of that bounty hunter, uh, I know they had Django Fett, but I, he was cool, I guess. But he just wasn't as cool <laughs> as Cad Bane, in my opinion. 
Yeah, well, we never really got to see Django succeed at anything. Like, even in his fight with Obi-Wan on Kamino, he kind of escapes by the skin of his teeth, and he's, you know, crawling around, and he just barely gets away, and, and you know, he thinks he blows up Obi-Wan in the asteroid field, and but really Obi-Wan's hiding, and and then he gets his head chopped up, chopped off by Mace Windu. So we, we just kind of saw Django <laughs> fail and fail and fail. Whereas, you know, we see Cad Bane, he just gets, he succeeds, he gets the holocron, he gets the kyber crystal, he gets it to Darth Sidious, exactly. and he gets away. Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then, you know, we see him, he, he kidnaps the Senate, or he holds the Senate hostage, he, uh, you know, he frees zero, the, like we only ever, like Cad Bane, when Cad Bane's evolved, he almost always succeeds. Only in, towards, you know, with, with season four where he, kind of fails but he was set up to fail by dooku and palpatine so it was it was very you know he, he's a very successful bounty hunter and i agree with you he's definitely what i think some people wanted to see out of Django. um instead they got it with this badass cat bane and you know he's you know he's really one of the standouts from the series you know anytime you hear people talking about why you should watch the series is you get it's cat bane it's cat bane you know and then Cad Bane, then maybe, you know, Pre Vizsla or the Night Sisters, mm. Darth Maul. But Cad Bane is always one of the first things that people point to as why, as reasons why people should watch the Clone Wars. He's become so popular to the point where there were even rumors not too long ago that he was going to get his own Netflix series. That would have been, been so awesome. So Although, good. yeah, and it, it's one of those things like, could they just, you know, use the Clone Wars um, style and, and models yeah. to, to do that? Um, cause, you know, I, I, I have a hard time imagining Cad Bane in live action I, just because the way the the duros his species the duros looked in episode four because you can yeah. see them in the cantina um they just looked a little too cartoony they didn't look threatening enough and you know maybe nowadays with you know more advanced um masks and and, and that kind of stuff and pr- prosthetics and you know with a little cgi enhancement they could make it look better but i just he he's almost he's almost too cartoony to to really work in the film same thing with with ventress because you know they were able to stylize these the characters and the look of humans and aliens to the point uh to you know to an extreme because it was animation and then you you look at someone like dooku who looks you know almost nothing like christopher lee um did in the films and and so there's obvious so such obvious stylization that i just don't know if they would translate so well to to the live action format i'm sure they could translate well to you know something like rebels um or, or another animated format but not so much the live yeah action, i agree with that well, uh, going back to, to the to cad bane uh, aspect there i mean the two two primary elements that i really really enjoy about his character one is the voice i think Corey byrne does a fantastic yes. job with the voice of cad bane it just it adds that menacing tone to him but it also does sound. In fact, he's doing Count Dooku as well. He's voicing Count Dooku. You just you, they, they sound so different, though, don't they? You could never tell it was the same yeah. person. I found out it was Corey Byrne. I was very surprised when I first heard about that, and it it just sounds really how I imagined it when you first see him there. Obviously, it's difficult, but you couldn't imagine, say, B.J. Hughes trying to do a voice of uh, Cad Bane. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Oh, God. Anyway, without. I don't want to go back on BJ Hughes, but I just thought, I mean, yeah, it was, no. the voice work was so, so good. And then the second point was just his actions, though, really made him seem like that Western cowboy, the typical Western cowboy you yeah. see in those. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of the films. Oh, who's that famous movie star in the cowboy films that everyone knows? 
Oh, uh, that's it. Clint, Clint Eastwood, Eastwood that's um, it. Well, John Wayne. Yeah, exactly. The, the yeah. typical Western cowboy yeah. American films that you would see. And Cad Bane just really um, symbolizes that more than anything else. Remember the, the, the little toothpick he has when you see him in in the apartment yeah. right away. The lighting and the sound of that scene is brilliant. I think that is one of that is one of the highlights of this arc that I really remember is just him in that apartment with the yeah. light shining in and um, the shadows all around him talking with Sidious. And then the second one I remember is in the Cargo of Doom when uh, after the torture scene and Mr. Rapal unfortunately meets his demise. Um, and he just does the little thing where he touches his hat. Do you remember that when he just? Uh, I don't know what yes. he does exactly. Just like just moves moves his hat across a little bit, and then just like it's, I don't know. It's, it, to be honest, it just conveys how how good the animation has come already. We're talking about season two here. I think it's such a grand progression from season mm-hmm. one already that you see these little nuances, and and the lighting is such an important element of of this of this arc in particular. And you can, and that's civilized yeah. with campaign. Yeah, and, and sticking with the lighting, I mean, this is the beginning of the mm. of the Joel Aaron era on the Clone Wars, and he, you know, he really stepped up the the lighting. And he, even if you just look at some of, if you've ever seen some of his still photography, you just see the lighting in that is always absolutely incredible, as, as it is, you know, for the five five and a half seasons of the Clone Wars that he worked on. So he, you definitely get the. Uh, this is definitely the beginning of, of, of really some of the best, or, or you know, the, the Clone Wars kicking it up a notch in terms of, uh, you know, lighting and and, and animation and, and all that stuff. So it, it's definitely something, something impressive that they did for this arc. Um, let's uh, let's move on a little bit from uh, from Cad Bane, and let's talk about his sidekick. We have Toto three sixty voiced by the uh, brilliant Seth Green. Um, this character is, you know, he's the comic relief for that first episode, and, you know, I guess he's pretty necessary, because there's a lot of, you know, just sneaking around, there isn't the, you know, bang, bang, Clone Wars action that we saw, you know, in, in say, the Ryloth arc, um, but he, he was definitely, he was very funny, you know, he's, I'm not a butler droid, and, and, and all that stuff, and, <laughs> you know, I have no memory of any crashes, <gasps> I have no memory of any crashes, you know, it's, it's, it's almost an evil C-3PO. Oh, yeah. Um... Which is something we kind of talked about last last time. Um, with evil, and Toto is really that more so than I would even say than, than some of the uh, the tactical droids, just because he has a little bit more of that Britishness to him, and he's you know working with Cad Bane. Uh, so what, what did you think yeah, of, I, of I Toto? Again, really enjoyed his character and, and being voiced by Seth Green, who is definitely one of my favorite actors. I have to say. Notably, Robot Chicken. Yeah, yeah, me too. I don't know if you've seen Without a Paddle. He was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is yes. a, a favorite TV show of mine. So I, it was just good to see him in, in, yeah, in this episode. Um, of course. And of course, Austin Powers. Oh, God, Austin Austin Powers. Powers. That was awful for me. But Austin Powers, of course, yeah. he was great in that. Uh, very, <laughs> very funny film. If you haven't watched it, because I know if any of you are listening on Thursday, um, Dominic's track record of watching top films has been uh, a bit luster so um, you know uh, Austin Powers is okay but you know if you're not watching Indiana Jones or Power Rangers or um, Lord of the Rings then get there and watch it anyway that was it well you I've seen Lord of the Rings I just didn't like it it I'm not having that okay 
anyway, we won't, we won't digress anymore. Otherwise, we'll probably turn off at this point. Already hearing the, the blasphemy from Mr. Yeah. Dominic Jones at that point. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, sorry. Back, back to Jeffrey, the title 360. It was just yeah. I mean, to hear him wasting one of the Clone Wars characters was already you know, a great, great feeling just to see him in the Clone Wars. But his character was so funny, as you said, and and I could really see why a character of um, Toto's personality would be linked and involved with Cad Bane because we don't really see it I guess in this arc but in the later one he has got that menacing undertone to him as well he is certainly the dark sea creepier yeah. there ever was one but I, that's what I imagine I guess Toto <laughs> to be um, I, I, he's definitely one that stands out and one that I remember very vividly in, in, in this particular arc and obviously he's only involved in the first episode he has, has a number of great lines and I, I might have one that I have in the quote section, but I won't spoil that. Um, yeah, so I'm sure you echo a number of those thoughts with Toto 360. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I loved Toto, and I think it was just it was the comic relief that you really needed in this arc, uh, just because of how dark and 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 stuff that this arc got, and and he he was great, you know, with the you know when he shows up. In the the communication center, and there's you know Mace Windu, Yoda, Ala Secura, and Kit Fisto standing around, and he's just like, "Hey guys, just uh, yeah, get out of here, bye." And then, you know Mace Windu, bomb, bomb. Where's the bomb? Yeah, just fantastic. Yeah, at the last minute, thankfully. Yeah. Sith Lord, you know. Sith Lord. Yeah. That time he didn't manage to find the bomb. It's like the polar opposite, isn't it? Really, those two personalities, Mace Windu and Toto 360. It's like it's like with the arc that yeah. you guys talked about on Thursday with Mace Windu and Jar Jar Binks. It's just, you know, it's just so funny to have those two. They should have their own TV show, by the way. Can we have Mace Windu and Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> oh, what series that would be! Yeah. <laughs> That would be fantastic. That'd be amazing. Um, but yeah, no. And the thing about about Toto and and him being voiced by Seth Green is Seth Green was really one of the first like celebrity fans of this series. You know, I mean, he was just excited about it because he liked liked Star Wars and he was able to you know turn that into a role. And then we we sort of saw that later on with people like Sam Witwer and and, and yeah. to an extent David Tennant as well. Um, so, uh, although I don't know if David Tennant actually watched the series, I know he was a Star Wars fan, but, uh, but yeah, but Seth Green was a fan of this show before, well, I, I don't know if he could have been a fan before he did his role, but yeah. he was supportive of the show, um, and that was able to get himself into it that way. Um, let's, uh, one little thing about this arc was the fact that Yoda was able to sense that there were intruders right away. I, I thought that was a bit interesting a bit um convenient i mean but at the same time it's also like you know this is where yoda's this is yoda this is where yoda's lived for 900 years essentially so maybe he has a better uh connection to the force there or or maybe he could just sense the (laughs) malevolence of, of cad bane sneaking around um in his home before he even i'd have thought though you know ever did anything He's been hired by Darth Sidious. Wouldn't wouldn't Darth Sidious maybe cloud 
Yoda's mind or something. Like, the dark side, as you said, clouds everything. Yet Yoda was able to, as you said, walk through the process, like the, the instruction manual, the, the, the dummy's guide for finding the intruder. It was a little bit like that, though, because <laughs> he goes and tells Obi-Wan that, oh, in the communications tower, they might be, or something like I can't do a Yoda voice, but, I mean, they were doing that. And then yeah. also, when he communicates with Ahsoka... And then he, 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 how does he know that the imposter's uh, a, a Jedi? It's posing as a Jedi. How does he know that? I, I can okay, I can understand that you might narrow down the options, but it just seemed like he was telling Ahsoka exactly what was happening. And I, I agree with you that it was it was very convenient, and I I feel like it was too, too it, it, easy and too. I don't know. Maybe they thought the, the the plot was too complicated for some younger audience, the younger audience, to understand. So they kind of walk in and through what's happening. But I thought it's not necessary, really, is it? Yeah, I I think I I don't know. I I think with with this, I think this one. I, I was it, it, I, on initial glance, it looks convenient, but I was able to to retcon it pretty well for myself i think with just sort of the idea that he um you know he, he can sense that cad bane is there and so he or he's something malevolent is moving on is going on outside the mm-hmm. temple and that's why he sort of he makes the assumptions that there that there will be intruders and then you know the fact that cad bane is always two steps ahead of him well then logically then he probably has somebody on the inside and so he would have, and you know, the, the only people really on the inside are, are Jedi and a, and a few temple workers. So I, I would, you know, again, probably the assumption would be that the Jedi, that it's a, a Jedi. And because Ahsoka's in the library, he tells her to look out for somebody who could be disguised as a Jedi. Whereas, you know, maybe if somebody was hanging out in, in a hangar bay somewhere, you would say, you know, just keep an eye on everybody. If anybody's, you know, doing something weird and then to your point about the dark side cloud clouding everything i think probably it, it does because they're thinking right away of the war um secrets and they're they're going to protect those whereas cadman is after more mm-hmm. of a jedi thing so maybe darth sidious added a little bit of, of clouding there but not to the extent that that he would have had to if the jedi yeah. weren't already at war because the Jedi are at war, they assume right away that it has to be the war secrets that Cad Bane is after. When really, he's after the holocron. So they all focus all their efforts on that, and Cad Bane is then able to sneak through and get his uh, his holocron. So that's sort of how I was able to look at that in my mind. Um, I don't know if, if that works no, for no, you or, not. or not. Oh, I'm going to play one more devil's advocate point to that. I thought, no, your, your, your explanation <laughs> is very, very good, actually. I, I can totally see that. The only thing I'm a little bit ambiguous uh, in, in that argument there, when you, we were talking about the example of posing as a Jedi, the intruder is, but then Yoda goes on to say that she should find Madame Jo Caster. Now, now, there's two things to that. One, it doesn't mean that he presumes that the Jedi imposter is Jocasta New, but he's probably saying go to the librarian. But then, why doesn't he just go and ask Madame Jocasta? Has she not got a com link or something? Or maybe he tried and it was just like, Madame Jocasta's on hold or something like that because she's talking to Cad Bane. I don't know. Yeah. That's my devil advocate's point. See if you can answer that. <laughs> well, I, I just, I, I think, you know, Yoda contacts Ahsoka. You know, he, you know, maybe Yoda tried to contact Jocasta New first and yeah. 
couldn't contact her, so he went to Ahsoka and said, you know, find find Madame J- Jocasta, and he does. And and then and so so Yoda so Yoda's told Ahsoka that, and Ahsoka is now looking for her as well. And you know, in a scenario like that where you have you know a fourteen year old who's you know on guard duty, and there is something like Cad Bane moving around in the temple, you're probably going to want to pair that fourteen year old up with somebody who has a little bit more experience. And that's why he would send um, send her to hang out. With uh, Joe Castanew and to uh, face down any plots together instead of having them go one on one against Cad Bane or or Cato Parasiti or whoever, because you know to them they they might even think you know maybe it's Dooku or or somebody like that or somebody yeah, like Ventress true. trying to sneak in, who would be a lot more dangerous in a lightsaber fight than Cato Parasiti. That is true. Uh, on that note of Kato Parasiti, what did you make of her uh, and the changeling, which of course we saw a little bit with Sam Wesley. I Sam, how would you say her name? Sam Wessel? That's it, episode two. Sam Wessel, um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah what, what, what were your thoughts on Kato Parasiti? I, I thought she was interesting. I like that we got to see the, those, that species again because the, she was really sort of kind of brushed over in, in, in episode two because they had to move on to, to more important things. I'm not criticizing them for, for not, you know, it was, Sam Wessel wasn't the main villain in episode two, so they didn't need to spend too much time on her. Um, but, but yeah, it was interesting to see them again and see how, you know, how useful this could be for, for bounty hunting and that she was able to sneak into the Jedi temple. And I love the idea that, you know, the clothes that, they're wearing it's really just a holocron yeah. hologram projector <laughs> um it, it's kind of like um in a um time of the doctor that the most recent doctor who episode where uh, matt smith is just uh he's not actually wearing clothes he's just projecting uh his uh his, his outfit onto himself I, I i sort of thought that was you know in rewatching it with that kind of in mind it was kind of a little chuckle like that um, but yeah, I th- but no, either way, that's a, it's a very cool idea and it makes a lot of sense how, you know, she can change into that weird alien of, that is, um, Ord Innocence, um, and still, you know, have clothes on that, that fit. Cause you know, I mean, Kato Parasiti's armor is not going to fit on Ord, Ord Innocence and that would be very funny to see and probably a, a red flag for the Jedi. And, you know, they don't really have time in the series to, you know, spend all this time getting changed from from outfit to outfit. Although Cad Fane got changed pretty quickly at Cargo of Doom, but we'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, I thought I thought Kato Parasiti was pretty cool, although I thought oh, she yeah. gave up a bit too easily at the end when she told them about Ball over Paul. I think she should have asked for, you know, some money or a, <laughs> or a, a, just a, a, a smaller prison well, sentence or something she, like she that. telling everything before they even asked her. He didn't interrogate her, did they? She just she yeah. voluntarily gave up the information. She was just walking out of the holocron bot. Yeah. She was like, wait, I'm going to tell you more. It's just like, you were Cad Bane there. You'd just be like, why yeah. did I hire this person? She's telling them everything. It's like... Yeah, although I think that does kind of play into the, you know, the bouncy hunter code of, you know, they got to, you know, you're out for yourself. You're not really out for, you know, she doesn't care what Cad Bane does. I mean, she's been captured. Now she has, you know, this one chip left to play that she can sort of say, hey, here's a little bit of information you might find useful to find uh, Cad Bane. And then, you know, when she's, you know, trying to come up with a plea bargain to get out of prison or, you know, have a, a slightly or get, you know, parole sooner or something like that, she can say, well, you know, I did send you, I did tell you right away without even being asked, you know, 
this is where Cad Bane is, you know. I think that's got to be worth something, you know. I mean, maybe we can, you know, get out after <laughs> 25 years instead of 30 <laughs> years, you know, <laughs> something like that. Definitely very good at bargaining, though, actually. <laughs> they, did, they didn't say, like, well, like you go, no. it's just Obi-Wan taking her away. Like, yeah, off you go, we're going back to prison, don't care. Thank you for the information, but see you later. Um, yeah. Although, yeah okay, we, Bugged us in the episode, but that that one thing at the end of the first episode is when Obi Wan says, um, "I'll find him" or something like that. I just think it would have been nice to see that. I know we already see later Obi Wan chases Cad Bane in the third episode, but in terms of continuity of the arc as a whole, if this is how we're measuring it, it goes from them walking off, and then all of a sudden Cad Bane's leaving the system already, and I'm like, "Well, they've only just left." What's happening between? I, w- I want to see how they <laughs> capture Bola or Paul, but I guess that's neither here nor there, but I don't know. I, is that sounding very snipey? I just thought maybe. It's a continuity safe. I, 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 yes and no. It's it's kind of the... I know, you know, we, we've I talked know. about this before. It's kind of the, the Star Wars thing to kind of drop you off in the middle of it. And this is sort of, you know, it's kind of like this... It's, this arc kind of plays out like the original trilogy where, you know, we kind of drop in in the middle of of Felucia and then that leads us to this sort of whole adventure with Cad Bane and then that ends and, you know, you'd think that the you know at the end of A New Hope the Rebels would go right after Darth Vader and, and, and the Emperor and, and all that, but instead they, yeah, you know, you know, we find them, yeah, we find them three years later on Hoth and, you know, they're obviously very good reasons for that but uh, that's neither here nor there and so that's kind of the same thing where we are in this episode where we kind of drop in again with uh with what happened with 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 them already engaged with uh cad bane and the the separatists and then of course you know return of the jedi is is in very many ways you know just a a sequel to to the empire strikes back or a direct sequel to the empire strikes back at least the first bit is because they're you know trying to free han and that's kind of the way that this episode opens up, that the third episode opens up there, and they're still trying to capture Cad Bane, and you know he's escaping, yeah, actually, actually and all, and all that stuff. So, this arc and the Star Wars trilogy, there, in terms of the continuity aspect between episodes, because obviously, yeah, the, the Empire Strikes Back and, and Return of the Jedi is really a sequel to that, uh, direct with the handling, and in a similar way that the Children of the Force is obviously uh, a direct, direct sequel because. They're both, they start, it finishes when they're on the gunship and it starts off where, when they're on the gunship. So, yeah, I actually didn't think about it that way, but yeah, I, again, I, I, it didn't really bother me that much because it was still a great, as I said, a great art, great action piece. <laughs> but I just thought maybe uh, they could have added that bit in. Uh, if they wanted to make it the four episodes that Kitty and Plunkett were saying, then that could have been a good way about it, but never mind. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. Carry on with the questions, Dominic. <laughs> I'm lost for words now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. No. I, I, like you said, I, I mean, would I have liked to have seen that battle? Absolutely. That would. I'm sure that would have been a great battle, but it, unfortunately, you know, it's just kind of the way Star Wars works. Um, of course, we we see the the Kyber crystal. This is the first time we're actually seeing this. You know, this is something that's been talked about since, you know, early drafts of A New Hope. And, you know, it was in, it played a big role in uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was sort of the unofficial sequel <laughs> uh, to to A New Hope, which was, of course, overwritten by Empire Strikes Back, although people still try to retcon it in there, which retcon, by the way, if you don't know what that means, means retroactive continuity. So if something is messed up, something messes up continuity, like say you know, even Peel dying in in season three, where when he really when he died in a book, 
that was set after episode three. Um, you know, people have come up with ways for sort of how that can still work, that kind of stuff. It, it's that that's basically what it means. And you know, I, I think we use that word, or at least I use that word a lot, just for <laughs> very small things. Um, although usually when people use it, they tend to think of the bigger stuff, like like even Peel or, or Mandalorians or you know, splinter of the mind's eye. Um, anyways, yeah. So the kyber crystal, and you know, going back then, that was sort of the kyber crystal was sort of the force. And in this, these episodes, it, it doesn't. It, the kyber crystal isn't the force, but it, it it still is very important because it's the list of all the force sensitive children in the galaxy. So it, in a way, it went from being the future of the Jedi in. Uh, in Splinter of the Mind's Eye to being sort of the future of the Jedi in a, a very different kind of way in this, these episodes. So it's, there's a little bit of, you know, there's still, uh, at its core, there's still a little bit of semblance, but <laughs> at the end, it's, it's very, very different. But it was cool that they were able to, to put that term in there and give us a, a definitive, uh, you know, answer for what a kyber crystal really is. I mean, what did you, you think know, of the, the kyber crystal? Aesthetically, the visual aspect of the kyber crystal was again, very cool. I, I, I thought, I, in a way, it was how I imagined it because I believe that we'd had we got a glimpse of the Kyber Crystal in a Tartakovsky series. Uh, I vaguely remember Luminara and um, Padawan uh, Barisofi when they were in that cave. I thought they were doing oh, something with the something. Kyber Crystals, but I, I'm not. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think they they may have tried to make the Kyber Crystal the, one the, the lightsaber anyway. crystal. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah oh, they changed that. That's been reckless. <laughs> the word do you like to use? Um, yes. Retconned, yes. <laughs> well, no, that's a very good example of retconning. Um, in fact, yeah, yeah, exactly. How, how I thought it was, I um, thought the Kyber Crystal was, that definitely served its purpose, and it was, it was, it was a very, very cool concept, and we obviously, we've already heard, obviously heard about this since the 1970s, as you've said, but to actually see it on screen and actually being given that, um, George Lucas canon, I guess. Uh, yeah, more visual cue to it, yeah. See it visually, and how it how it's really used. I mean, the concept of having a keeper of the fiber crystals again really amplifies the notion that this is very very important. That you've actually got soul Jedi whose purpose is to the craft yeah. of this crystal and, and these crystals, I should say. Um, I mean, how, how do you feel that? Obviously, Boller Apol dies at the end, but. How do you feel as a, as a consequence of that? Bearing in mind that he's, he's protecting these crystals, is it? Does that make it more impactful in your opinion? Is it? This is kind of linked to the Kyber crystal, but yeah. his death. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think his death is sort of, you know, he would rather die than reveal what the Kyber, than you know, open open the Kyber crystal on the holocron for Cad Bane, and you kind of. You know, you, uh, let me see. Let me just give me a second here to work this out in my mind. Yes, according to, um, yeah, no, he sort of, he dies, he dies protecting it. And definitely, I think it makes a, a bigger impact. And I think that that is sort of the message that, you know, if you really believe in something, then at, at some point, you know, you have to be willing to, to lay down your life for it. And that's sort of the, the message of, of Bala Rapal. And so, yeah, definitely the fact that he was willing to pr- die protecting the Kyber crystal because it is really important. It is the, the future of the Jedi. It's all these, this list of these younglings. And if somebody went out and started 
taking out the younglings. You know, I mean, Obi Wan's not mm. getting any younger. Yoda's not getting any younger. You know, they, they you know, they have you know, not everybody's Yoda. Not everybody lives for nine hundred years. They have some that are limited, unfortunately, by realistic human lifetime or um, you know lifespans. And and so it is definitely an important aspect that they go out and and get the kyber crystal, or that the kyber crystal is defended by someone like. Baller of Paul, who was willing to, well, to make the ultimate that. sacrifice. Particularly that we're in the middle of this war. The Jedi are dying left, right, and center. The, the amount of Jedi we saw dying in the Geonosis arena, uh, you almost thought, how on earth were they able to yeah. band together any Jedi? Were there any Jedi left? You know what I mean? I thought the whole Jedi was pretty much in the <laughs> Geonosis arena, but obviously not. But, you know, there was a lot that died there. And if, if Cad Bane is stealing the holocron and gathering the secrets, which is now, which he, which he now can do as a consequence of killing Bolarapol and taking this crystal, then all of a sudden the future of the Jedi Order will be diminished because the only people that will be around still are the few that are actually alive in the war. And as we see at the end, you know, most of them die anyway. But it, it's really interesting to see how that works. And the, the impact of his death, really, in my opinion, is enhanced with that notion there, the fact that. He is really, in a way, the, the protector of, as you said, the future Jedi younglings. If it is in the wrong hands, particularly if it's in Sidious's hands, obviously he's the one behind this plot, then big trouble oh, yeah. will ensue as a consequence of that. There's no doubt about it. Um, linked on to that, what did you make of that whole torture scene? Because I think I think it's one that really stands out yeah. to me whenever I look back at this arc. And it's really difficult now to measure it against what we've seen in say season five and season four which gets really dark but it certainly seems like a milestone in my opinion a landmark almost for really bridging the gap between the notion of this series as a kiddie show and more of a show for pretty much everyone for adults and kids alike so what did you really make of that whole scene Oh yeah, no, that was that was a very it was a dark scene. It really showed you Cad Bane's character that he was, you know, just gonna torture the the information out of the, this guy. You know, it's, it's definitely you know, again, the Clone Wars got a bit of a reputation in some of the some of some of the episodes from really I would say more the the middle of season one than than even the beginning or, or the end uh, of season one that, you know, it's a bit of a kiddie show and, you know, you get that a bit with some stuff like the, the blue shadow virus and the mystery of a thousand moons and the, the Lerman stuff and, and, and all that. But this is one of those moments where like, nope, definitely not a kid show because this guy is, is screaming and being tortured to death and Cad Bane just there, just doesn't care. And even when he dies, Cad Bane's like, well, I just, I guess I better find another, another Jedi. Like it's, it's no big deal to him. You get the sense that he's killed lots of Jedi before, and he doesn't. But can also doesn't bother him. Really gleam the reaction uh, and and the fact that this is really a very malevolent uh, interrogation scene based on the reaction of the droids. I mean, you see in their voices, it really sounds quite morbid. Yeah. When he's like, "His last of idols." Yeah, even the droids are, are kind of disturbed no, by it. Because it's one of my quotes, but. There's, there's one bit when uh, the droid is talking to Cad Bane and he's, he's like, are you a medical droid? So like, oh, shut up then. He's just like, you know, he doesn't care at all. Yeah. And the, um, and the battle droids, exactly, they're feeling quite somber about this. And it really gives the impression and elevates the idea that Cad Bane is really this, as we said, this, this 
no, no pun intended, but he is, you know, has the characteristics of Grievous almost, isn't he? Because he is, he is a malevolent villain, and uh, he re- he really gives that impression off by, as you said, just killing the Jedi, not caring, just saying, right, he's dead, whatever, yeah. let's go. He almost, he almost seems, he almost seems smarter than Grievous, I would say, he's, you know, because he, he wins. I mean, Grievous never wins. This guy, he he gets what he wants and he kills a couple of Jedi along the way or he, or he, or he kills a Jedi along the way at least although he killed Ord- Ordenisons I would, I would have to um, if I had to guess I would say he probably did that so yeah I would say this guy is smarter than Grievous um, but he doesn't he's, he wouldn't work well for Dooku he's oh, not, yeah. he wouldn't be subservient I'm- I don't think to uh to count Dooku because he doesn't have some just some natural hatred against the Jedi which is Sort of Grievous's um, motivation, yeah, exactly. Gadman's motivation is it was money. It desires, just wants credit. Exactly, yeah, yeah, his motivations yeah. are based on monetary reasons more than anything else, and and you can tell that really. Yeah. Ingenious side towards Cadbane, particularly when he's talking with Newt Gunray, and I think we'll have to have a quick mention on him a little bit later. But I feel that. When he, when he talks to him about the fact that there's two Jedi on board and most other separatist leaders, like what Tambor or New Gunray would be like, what is going to, you know, quick evacuate, run or whatever. He's just like, no, let's bring them on board. We can use these two to open this, uh, to get the hologram, sorry, get the holocron and the kyber crystal connected. So, you know, he's always thinking about new ideas. He's, He's always he's, he's always one one or two steps ahead of everyone else, really, and that's what really adds to the character, along with his um, menacing side, I guess. But yeah, as you say, yeah, he's such a smart villain, more so than any others that I believe we've seen up to this point, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, he's he's definitely the the smartest of the uh, of the Clone Wars villains, I would think, all except for maybe Dooku. Even I'd say he's probably I don't know who's smarter, Cad Bane or yeah, Ventress. Yeah, that's a tough one, really. I, don't, pretty... I guess Ventress is more based on her emotions. Yeah, I mean she's obviously very, very tactful, mm. and and she she she's obviously had her life experiences, so that obviously helps. She understands the world, but I wouldn't necessarily say up until really past the Night Sisters arc that we really get to see her being smart and really competent. I guess I mean she does okay in Cloak of Darkness, but. She just seems more, as you said, subordinate and subservient to Dooku. Dooku's having to tell her what to do, what to do. Whereas I feel like Cad Bane's more adaptable in the situations. He, he was hoping to get the information from Bolor Apart. When he died, it wasn't as though, oh, crap, I'm not going to get my money. Oh, let's just get out of here. Uh, I'll just give this to City as he can deal with it. It's like, okay, well, good, we've got two more Jedi on board. Let's deal with this now. We can sort this out. He's got a plan in motion already, and I think that's just really what, in my mind, enhances his character's um, the cleverness uh, to, and intelligence. It's just nice to see some intelligent villains, really, isn't it? Because I, I, I just guess, and and I guess Ma took in a way was, but and and apart from Dooku, he, this is really the first time I can see villains winning as well. That adds to it, doesn't it? That the villains actually getting what they yeah. want. It, it really oh, absolutely. Adds, what we've seen with the torture yeah. scene but it, it just further amplifies why this character is so popular and, and has such a good reception amongst fans because he wins he doesn't fail Django Fett failed and I hate to say it fans <laughs> but so did Boba Fett uh, I know he, he okay yeah he got a hand in the car but, yeah. um, but again that was more with help from the Empire as well That's true. he did find him I guess but 
you know, he got killed off. He didn't, you know, I, I'm not going to really antagonise a lot of people when I say this, but he, he, I, I understand the fans base for him, but he he didn't do a lot really in the film, did he? he I, I remember him getting <laughs> shot down by a hand, he was blind, and then he was chucked in the Zarlacc pit. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest ending to say the least, but. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just being quite crude there. I I, I love Boba Fett as much as anyone. He was such a cool character. But Cad Bane, in my opinion, has done much more than Boba Fett has done from what we see on screen, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And that that's, I think, is why Cad Bane was so popular because we kept seeing him, you know, actually succeed. He was the one villain that actually succeeded. And he was the villain that really more than than any others uh, um, felt like a challenge to the heroes and th- that is I think the the genius of, of any good villain is if you feel like they're a challenge to the heroes and anytime the heroes are, are facing off against them there's the chance that they won't win or they won't get away that's really the sign of a great villain and that's what Cad Bane brought to the series um, I, I want to want to touch on something is is in this 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 second episode we kind of go back to a a debate that's been had several times in the series about um you know uh um separatists or trade federation because newt gunray lends his his fleet to the to cad bane but newt gunray is 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 the viceroy of the trade federation but he's an extremist and so do the Jedi think that Cad Bane is working with the Separatists, or they, do they know that it's that he's just working with um, Newt Gunray, or or, 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 or what? Do you have any sense of that? To me, but it doesn't exactly explain fully. It's it's touched upon when Ahsoka says, "But if the ship's destroyed, then Newt Gunray's not going to get it either." So they recognise that Newt Gunray is linked to this. Clearly, they believe he's the one that Bane is working for. But surely they must think, why on earth is Newt Gunray wanting this holocron? I guess as much as they think, why does Bane want this holocron? But I, I, I didn't see any Trade Federation ships there. They looked all separatist to me. So I guess they must, they must recognise that there's a combination mm-hmm. of the two. That if they think Newt Gunray's doing it, then clearly they think the separatists are behind it. So it, really, I would say it's an amalgamation of the two. But, but I. I still don't understand, okay. then, why on earth the Trade Federation has a seat in the Senate. Because I understand, they recognize that New Gunray is an extremist. <laughs> but if he's an extremist that has ties to the Trade Federation, and every time it seems like the Jedi are fighting the Trade Federation, and we'll see this in later art, particularly in the sphere of influence, then why on earth are they still having a seat in the Senate? And I guess maybe it's linked to Palpatine, but... I actually was reading this Darth, what, reading again this Darth Plagueis novel, and it says that uh, around the beginning that the Trade Federation get a seat. Um, I don't know, I can't remember exactly when the book was set, but that it, it, there was an inauguration point when they managed to get a seat in the Senate. And since that point, then you know they've invaded uh, Naboo. <laughs> I mean, they, they obviously got a couple of these Trade Federation <laughs> uh, Nemoidians are working for. Uh, the separatists. I, I don't know. Can you? I, you probably don't have an answer, Dominic. But can you answer that question for me? Why? Why is the Trade Federation still in the Senate when it's quite clear to pretty much everyone else, apart from I don't know the inept senators and the Jedi, that they aren't behind it. <laughs> well, I, I think you. I, I think you just. 
I think you just answered the question there. Is the, the inept senators, or or maybe not even the inept senators, the corrupt senators? Because the, the trade federation is obviously very, very rich, and they're you know they're chummy with the banking clan and and all of these you know very powerful and very rich corporations, and so they're able to pay off the senators that or pay off enough just enough senators that they don't um, you know. Uh, vote to have them removed from the Senate and, or, or, you know, work to have them removed from the Senate. And they also, you know, I don't, also don't think Palpatine would allow that. So I'm sure, you know, Palpatine through some kind of crazy network has got some people who are able to, to pay off, pay off uh, the separate, or to pay off these, these senators to keep them from kicking out the Trade Federation, the banking clan, the techno union. And then there, I'm sure there are some senators that are just stupid and that think, you know, I mean, you know, look at real world politics, for examples of, of people that shouldn't be in office that are, and, you know, they probably just believe wholeheartedly that Newt Gunnery is just an extremist and they, um, the Trade Federation is yeah. working for the good of the Republic. Ding! You know, like, you kind of get that sense. So I, I think it's, it's corruption and, and yeah, mixed in with I, a little bit I of stupidity. I can see that. I, I guess know? I'm just trying to really, uh, um, trying to find a way to understand the whole, Process within within a republic that they they have the banking clan and obviously they're a neutral party technically but we know they're not and by the end of the of the um, of the actual uh, art series then those of you spoiler alert find out that the banking clan goes under the control of the chancellor but but the banking clan okay is a neutral yeah. party but I don't understand then what are the trade federation providing for the republic because we understand that they're providing droids for the separatists. But what are they providing for the Republic? Is Do you believe it's more financial, ec- economic loans, perhaps? But then I thought that would be what the banking clan does. Or is it they provide in vehicles, but then wouldn't they? I don't yeah. understand when they're getting the vehicles from them. <laughs> are they getting those from the Kaminoans? Or are they coming from the Trade Federation? It's all very, very complex. But <sighs> I can understand how Palpatine is I, using I, this to his advantage. I guess that's the important point. But as you are, just, I'm always so ambivalent about my attitude towards the trade federation and, and really what they're how they've got a seat in the senate what are they doing in there because oh it it just baffles me i guess yeah i i i think um not to get <laughs> off completely on a tangent about the trade federation but i think they're not necessarily providing the republic as a whole with anything what they're doing is they're providing um, all the individual systems with stuff and because that's sort of what I got these the sense from from supply lines where um, Dodd, yeah. what's his face uh, the senator um, Lot Dodd says you know to to um, King Katunko that you know if if you side with the Republic then you know all, all of our trading with you will stop all, you'll stop getting all of our support I'm still not a hundred percent clear on <laughs> what the Trade Federation actually does uh, maybe they just I, I mean do they facilitate yeah. trade between different systems or, you Possibly. know there's some kind of middleman I, I maybe that's it um, and so that's probably what they're doing for individual systems in the Republic so you know if Naboo and Alderaan need to do some kind of trade then you know they'll go through the Trade Federation although Naboo and Alderaan are probably bad examples because they're really distrustful of the Trade Federation but you know if if two planets you know, if Earth and Mars need to do some <laughs> some trading, they'll do it through the Trade Federation. Uh, that's kind of what, I, and that's yeah. why they have to keep their actually. That sense. makes a lot that's of sense. Sort of what I've gathered from the it. Trade Federation. So the, a lot of it, of course, is linked to it, obviously the trading aspect there. 
as you said, they may not be. They may not be actually trade yeah. trading items with them uh, between, say, themselves and another party. But as you said, they might be facilitating trade between one party and another. Um, it may mean that you know it's not to get all political here, yeah. but they might have to put, say, higher tariffs on on particular goods as a consequence of them not working well with the trade federation i don't know exactly but that could be an example i guess that uh, if they, they want to work well otherwise yeah. they might have to play pay higher taxes and duties etc etc so yeah that, that okay, I, I can understand that now I, I i vaguely understand now why they have a yeah. seat in the senate i i'm glad of this discussion because i i still baffle me about i, yeah. I love we, we were just talking about the hologram of newt gungry and it's all gone into a tangent about the trade federation and we all, I mean, like, that's the, that's the other thing I've got <laughs> fans is the trade federation. I feel like, I don't know, it's just always, it's always there, and yet people don't understand why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, it's just very interesting. It's very important to the, the prequel era, and I'm sure we'll, we'll keep discussing it as we continue moving through the series in episodes that you expected and in episodes that you probably don't expect it too much. Um, let's, let's talk about Anakin and, and Ahsoka. Let's finally make our way back to them in, in Cargo of Doom. You know, we see Cad Bane kidnap Ahsoka, essentially, and, and, you know, hold her hostage to get Anakin to open the holocron. And this is, you know, very much, you know, Anakin, he has, he's so attached to everything that, you know, he can't stand the idea of not losing, or of losing it, of losing something. And, you know, and so if, you know, if, if Ahsoka just, you know, if Ahsoka's thrust out into space, then, you know, he would probably go all dark side uh, a lot sooner, I would think. I think that would be, you know, it would have him thinking about things and it might be able to expedite Palpatine's plans. And... I think Ahsoka walking away from the, the Jedi Order at the end of Season 5 probably helped expedite Palpatine's plans a little bit. Uh, although, and that's probably why he was so intent on framing Ahsoka. I just thought of that. I never thought of that before. Mm-hmm. We'll have to talk about that when we get to Season 5. Um, uh, but we, we have sort of, so we see Anakin, you know, he's, his inability to let go again. And it's, you know, it's ultimately his downfall. Um, what did you think of the scene there where... Uh, Cad Bane, you know, essentially blackmails Anakin into opening the, the holocron. Jedi element of attachment. And I'd be interested to see, actually, how much Cad Bane knows about Anakin Skywalker and and um, his relations with Ahsoka, because he, he obviously he said that he knew the ties between a master and apprentice was strong. So I guess in that sense, it was more general that he recognized that there were attachments there. But you know, if it, I just wonder. Imagine if it was Luminara and Barris in that situation. I just, I just feel for for Barris's life. <laughs> Luminara would just be like, ah, whatever. Oh, I, just want to <laughs> I don't care about Barris. But obviously, of Anakin and Ahsoka yeah. is completely different. But uh, I, I, I am glad though that Anakin did obviously do what he did yeah. because um, it, it really does show that close attachment there. But at the same time, in that in that situation, was there really any other choice? It was either try and take the hologram and uh, risk the life of your Padawan, or just give in, and and uh, that would mean that you could save the Padawan's life. Obviously, Cad Bane tried to double cross them as he pushed the button so that Ahsoka would fall out into space, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, 
didn't work out well. It didn't really work out at all, it to be honest. Didn't work out quite um, too well for him. Yeah. yeah, you can really see, though, this is, again, the seeds of Anakin um, really turning to the dark side. We always talk about this, but it's, again, evident in this. Uh, I think there were two moments. One, when Ahsoka is first captured, and you see his eye open when he's under that rubble, and, and then he just uses the force just to, like, push yeah. the rubble away. He looks pretty angry there. And then, obviously, when quite a funny scene actually when he's walking up to those battle droids uh, just before uh, he opens the door to find Cad Bane and Ahsoka and they're all just like you said we'd be safe there and all this malaka and uh, they end up being killed off <laughs> he's like there's a Jedi outside he looks very unhappy like, yeah I can, I can understand why but it's always cool to see that element I have to say um, just to see the dark side the seeds of the dark side in Anakin Skywalker um, so what, what did you make of that scene in general? Yeah, it's, it, I like what you said there. You know, what if it had been Luminar and Barris? I, I mean, I wonder, I really wonder if things had to play it out differently. And I kind of wonder if maybe, um, in some scene we didn't see that, you know, Darth Sidious gave some information to Cad Bane about, you know, hey, this is Anakin Skywalker. And if you try something like yeah, this, was... it might just work. Know. You know, I I think that 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 might have that could have definitely played into that scenario I, because you know, like you said, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure Luminar would have just sort of let Barris die and then you know taken out the droids and captured Cad Bane. I, I think that's probably what would have happened. And, and there's, 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 well, it's, it's a pretty true, low I mean, we'll opinion of Luminar. I think you know, of time, but Luminar, I, I mean, yeah. the impression I get Luminar is never good. Uh, if I'm being honest, she's definitely my, in terms of respectable yeah. Jedi, I'd place her at the bottom. I have no interest in her whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, spoiler alert, I yeah, don't understand probably. why uh, Barris Offie goes off to the dark side when you got someone like her as your master. I don't blame her, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, on a, referring <laughs> back to that, yeah. this is another point, because you could bring in the Sidious element, which I, we'll, we'll probably come onto a little bit later. But, uh, saying that Cad Bane's in contact with Darth Sidious there, I, do you know what? What do you think about the fact that he knows it's Darth Sidious? Because he refers to that, but more importantly, he refers to him as a Sith Lord. That was surprised me more than yeah. anything else that he um, would reveal that information. Although it is to Cad Bane, would that not put in? Then it must be on the dark side side, even though he has no sides. But I don't know. It'd be interesting. It surprised me. I don't know what your thoughts on or about that. Yeah, it's a, it isn't. It's definitely a. Uh, you know, you don't always expect to see Darth Sidious out doing you know running errands and, and stuff like that. Um, so it it is sort of a surprise, but I think it, it kind of makes sense because I don't think I don't think this is something that Count Dooku can do because what if you know Bane cracks? You know, so if they are able to get him to talk about Dooku, or that Dooku was the one who, who ordered this to be done. So I think by presenting, by Palpatine presenting himself as Darth Sidious to Cad Bane, he's presenting himself as this guy who is completely shrouded in mystery. I mean, nobody knows who he is, except for, you know, Dooku, and then, you know, there isn't really even any evidence of any ties between Dooku and Darth Sidious to, to the... Well, that's not true, because um, Dooku references... Darth Sidious in, in Attack of the Clones. So I, I, I guess, you know, by presenting himself to Cad Bane as Darth Sidious, 
you know, because this is sort of the highest level thing. So even if Cad Bane cracks, you know, who's, you know, who, who hired you? Well, Darth Sidious. Well, who's Darth Sidious? Uh, he doesn't know. Nobody knows who Darth Sidious is. Would risk it, so though, it just, you know, it would, it would scare the Jedi. He said it's off Sidious. But they, people. he's heard of, well, yeah, no, they, the Jedi have heard of Darth Sidious, right? But, but if Cad Bane says to him, okay, it was Darth Sidious who did this, um, but I don't know who Darth Sidious is, and that's, the truth, you know, nobody knows, or very few people know who Darth Sidious actually is, but the Jedi have heard of Darth Sidious, so they would scare them that, oh, wow, you know, this is what Darth Sidious is trying to do. Yeah. But okay. it would keep his identity and the fact that he is the Supreme Chancellor of the Republic, you know, still shrouded in mystery. So that's why I think he would present himself to Cad Bane as it Darth Sidious, Which always baffles me, to be honest, because I thought Gunray is probably the worst yeah. person you want to tell your secret too, because as we see earlier in Cloak of Darkness, he was ready to spill the beans <laughs> when he thought he was going to be killed there. You know what I mean? Whereas Cad Bane yeah. is a lot more. I mean, he wasn't saying anything. Yeah. I'll get well, yeah. onto this later or now, but when he was in that interrogation room in the, with the, with the Jedi, he wasn't saying anything, was he? he but, uh, Windu does make the point, though, doesn't he? When he says, uh, "I have yeah. a feeling whoever you work for outweighs your fear of us," and then. That's when Bane is just like, yeah, this conversation's over now. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't think, I don't think, you know, Gunray knows the, the dual identity, but, you know, that's why he would present himself as, as Darth Sidious to Gunray. It's the same reason he would present yeah, himself as Darth Sidious to Bane, I, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and like you said, um, you know, Cad Bane doesn't talk, but Gunray might. Uh, of course, um, uh, again, we see a bit more of the do as I say, not as I do with Anakin and Ahsoka, you know. First Ahsoka goes running off after Bane and, and Anakin's like, no, Ahsoka, don't! And then when Ahsoka wants to, go, or when Anakin wants to go running off after Bane, um, it's Ahsoka yeah. that, that talks him out of it. And I thought that was a very, um, funny little, um, you know, comparison of, of the pot calling the kettle black um, scenario. Yeah, it was um, good. I, I don't know. What did you think of that little bit? There. Although she is young, and we talked about this at the beginning, she was a little bit naive in the battle yeah. zone. She's certainly a lot more confident around her master, Anakin. She really stands up for herself and, and, and stands up for him in a way and says, this is not what we should be doing here. Uh, she and, and you can tell already that she's not... Well, she was a bit, yeah. I guess, as, as equals, a snip. She was, she was a bit snippy with him at the beginning. But I don't believe she would really stand up to him as she did at the end of at the end of Cargo of Doom. When she was like, Patience, you know, master. We got she she really she really is not just um learning everything. She's not just assimilating all the skills and uh ideology, I guess, of Anakin Skywalker. Plo Koon is also her other mentor and I like the balance. And Obi Wan, of course, and yeah, the Jedi in general. And, and so is Obi Wan. I thought maybe Plo Koon and Anakin stand out. As well, see, Plo Koon raised her; it was the one who raised her in the Jedi Temple. Yeah, you can see though that there's the good balance there. That she recognizes that what Anakin's doing is wrong. We have to get off this ship now, otherwise you're risking everyone's life. But at the same time, she does stand up. But she also has that element yeah, that I... we saw earlier, where she's brash and runs off after Cad Bane on her own. So. I, that's kind of what I get. There was this really balance between the fact that she has a lot of influence from Anakin and Blokoon and other Jedi, of course. But those are the two ones that stand out to me. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I see what you're saying. I think I think Obi Wan and Plo Koon um, sort of combine because obviously she doesn't spend all the time with with, with either of those, but she's spending pretty much all her time with with Obi Wan or with, with Anakin. So I, I think I, I I put Obi Wan in there in that same pantheon as, as Plo Koon mm-hmm. and Anakin in terms in terms of her influences, just because you know Anakin and Obi Wan are together so often that you know she's going to be around with with Anakin as. You know, just to that same extent. But that's, uh, that's beside the point. I just thought, you know, that's sort of this scenario yeah. where she almost, she kind of really learned from her mistake of, you know, chasing after Cad Bane and then was able to sort of, you know, remind Anakin that she, that he had been trying to teach her <laughs> that same lesson just a few minutes earlier. Um, so it was a, it was a definitely a, a funny or amusing scene in that sense. Uh, and then of course, you know, oh, we yeah. had the, the whole zero gravity fight, which was so cool. Uh, I love that. I thought it was very fun. And then Cad Bane's escape, which was very smart. I, I, you know, it was one of those things, you know, they, sh- they show the clone, the quote unquote clone shooting, um, you know, somebody dressed in Cad Bane's armor, who we now know, I, I would assume is a clone trooper that yeah. they, they just did a quick switch, switch of the uniform. Um, and it was done, you know, in a way where it's like, you know, if you hadn't seen the next episode and that's all you thought, you thought that was the end of Cad Bane, it was like, really? That's it? Just a, you know, we kind of see it's sort of an afterthought of him getting shot by this clone trooper. And then, of course, we find out in the, in the next episode that, you know, he had pulled an old switcheroo on the Jedi there, which was very smart. And I just, I loved it. And I loved the way it was, was portrayed. And I love the way the the second episode, the third episode starts with the the second yeah. episode's ending, just shown from a slightly different perspective. You know, the last time we saw Anakin and Ahsoka, and this time we saw the, the clones. Uh, I, I thought that was very, very fun. It was sort of, the, it was a, a very cool way of doing it. I, I liked it a, a lot. Um, it was a great way of tying the two episodes together. Um, and then we go to to Mustafar, uh, or we see Mustafar. And I, and I think, you know, I don't oh, know about yeah. you, but seeing that just made me want to rewatch episode three because <laughs> it looked so great, and they were almost on those same sets, and it, it just is. It was very interesting that you know Darth Sidious has, has tried yeah. to to have some operations going on on Mustafar a couple of times. Like, yeah, I almost wonder if he's just sort of got these different little stations that all look pretty much the same set up all around the planet, <laughs> um, you know, for various purposes. You know, one of them. Is where he will eventually send the separatists in in episode three, and it was just it looked fantastic. They got the look of Mustafar perfectly, um, and then we get to this this idea of Cad Bane kidnapping children, uh, and it also raised the question that I, I know it was um, disconcerting to a lot of fans. This idea that the Jedi take these children as really young as as, as really little kids, as toddlers, basically. And it, it, it begs sort of a moral question. Is that right? Do, you know, the, these children don't really have a choice in becoming Jedi. Is, is that really the, the right thing to do? And I, I want to ask you, did, did that, um, you know, element, uh, play, you know, bother you at all? Uh, or did it, did it play into your uh, appreciation or, or, or thought process of this episode or of the Jedi as a whole? Already where we can see that the image, the perception of the Jedi is not all positive. And the, this is really one of those key reasons yeah. why. Uh, they, they're taking children at such a young age. And you could see really when Bane, see really when Bane was talking with, I don't know what her name is, but the, 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 the female Rodian. Yeah. The female Rodian. 
and she was really saying like no don't take him away he's just a child just you know a baby almost and then he used his little whatever that device was to really <laughs> manipulate her mind so that he would take the child but anyway that, that's neither here nor there but the, yeah that, that real concept and also with the one in the boot i mean did you see the the, the age of that child she looked like a baby it was hardly anything yeah um, the, the i mean i'm glad that i'm glad that they gave, they gave the gungan child back because yeah. i thought that would be far too young but I don't know. I can understand really then why it would bother a lot of these parents in particular because obviously when you go to the Jedi Order, you don't, you know, you're not allowed back. Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to get, you're not going to ever. There's no. Well, I don't know if they have them on Holonet, maybe, but you know, it's not like they're going to go back to the planet and they're going to be writing letters and stuff to them. It's just, they're literally isolated in a way in the Jedi Temple, and really that just feeds into facilitating Palpatine's uh, rise to power and really giving that negative impression of the Jedi, if, if he can point out these facts, which are true, that they do take these younglings at a young age. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Anakin was the oldest, and he was, what, 10? I yeah. mean, they were like, we're not going to train you, you're too old. Like, me. Um So, yeah, I, I can completely see that, that perspective, and I wouldn't say it completely bugs me, but I think it's just more interesting uh, more than anything else. I mean, would you, uh, Dominic, maybe perceive... This, uh, sorry, would you get a negative impression of the Jedi as a consequence? Does, does the idea of them taking these children away at such a young age um, alter your perception of them as the good guys, so to speak? I, I don't know if, if it alters my perception of them as the good guys. It, it definitely is a, um, you know, it's one of those things like, really, that's the way you're going to do it? And, and it's something that I hope that they look at in the sequel trilogy, like you find out that you know the Jedi, the kids are you know get to spend, are able to have their contact with their parents if they want to, as long as they're able to you know be emotionally strong enough not to go off completely dark side. <laughs> like because you know they saw they saw that you know Anakin not being able to see his mother is partially led to him falling to the dark side um, in the prequels. So maybe in the in the sequel trilogy they allow for you know. You know, kids can come and be trained, but they also have connections back to their family and, and that kind of stuff. It's it's a, you know it's sort of what they did in the expanded universe. Although I have a lot of problems with the way they portray the Jedi in the post Return of the Jedi expanded universe. It's a bunch of pouting, inactive, wannabe Jedi um, for the most part. Um, anyways, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, they they kind of. Yeah, it's, it is sort of one of those things, like, really, that's what you're doing? But I don't know if it's necessarily a, an evil thing. And it, I, I'm glad that they brought it up again in the series in, in sort of, in a cool way with the, the Jar Jar and, and Mace arc from the, the, um, the, from season six. I guess we should probably stop calling it bonus content now. It is season six. Um, they also, the disappeared part one and two, they kind of brought up that, that idea again, which was, which was very interesting. And I'm, I'm glad they did. Um, but yeah, it's it's just one of those things that kind of, it's the Jedi at this time are at risk of, you know, being completely wiped out as they do. And it's because of this, these, you know, these years of basically inaction where they're not constantly worried about the Sith. And so they're able to start, you know, trying these new ideas that they might not have tried, you know, a thousand years ago. But because it's been peace and they, they can sort of try these ideas that, may not be the best ones 
And I think this kind of falls into that. I don't know if that makes any sense. I was kind of rambling there. I don't know. <laughs> no, it does. I completely, I completely understand. I marginally understand. <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, uh, what you're saying there is, you know, it, it's not going to give you a completely negative perception of the Jedi as a consequence of seeing them take young uh, these children at a young age. They, they clearly have, they're very, they're force sensitive children. That's the point of them. They're, 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 and to be honest, it's going to be in a way, a privilege that they're going to be able to become these Jedi. Uh, obviously, they're not allowed these attachments, but in a way, it can work both ways, though, can't it? Because if you think about it from the perception of the Jedi, then they're taking these children at a young age. They haven't really formed that completely close bond with their parents. When, obviously, Anakin is a little bit older, he couldn't really sever his ties between him and his mother. And that's why later, when, obviously, he was able to have these forced visions of her, he then went back and tried to save her, whereas I guess... These kids don't really have that, do they? they they're, they're taken away, and that means that they can solely focus on on becoming a Jedi. And so I I I, I agree with you. I don't I don't see them as the evil bad guys, or uh, subsequently because they they take these children such a young age. I I, 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 I can understand both sides though. Is really what I'm trying to state here, and you can really understand that. All of these small examples are also building blocks for us as fans. It's really understanding why when Anakin says, uh, I believe the Jedi are evil in episode three. Well, you know, it can hold some credence as to understanding why he would he would believe that. Whereas when you kind of just watch the movies, you feel like, well, what, where is that? Where's the evidence? Well, throughout <laughs> the Clone Wars, which is another good thing I can say about it, you do find examples as to why you might find the Jedi not as wholly good as you actually think they were. If that makes sense, I'm kind of rambling on now. but <laughs> No, it, it definitely makes sense. You know, In the original trilogy, the Jedi are built up as these legends. Uh, and, in, and instead of seeing those legends in the prequel trilogy and the prequel era, we see these guys that are kind of... They kind of, they're kind of like that legend, but they're also kind of not. They, they don't quite live up to the, the hype that they got in, uh, in the, the original trilogy, which is, you know, but it's important for that time frame because, you know, maybe if we saw the Jedi, you know, 500 years prior, we would see more of that hero. But because they've had, again, this sort of period where they're not constantly threatened by the Sith, that they're able to, you know, start trying ideas like get, taking children at, you know, really young ages or, or even, you know, start studying the Force to the point where they understand, you know, midi-chlorians. You know, and, and that's sort of a thing that, you know, a lot of fans don't like about the, the prequels. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's, a, it's an interesting concept. Um, I, and I don't think it demystifies the Force at all, but the fact that they've gotten to the point where they now understand how to scientifically measure, um, you know, the... <laughs> the amount of force sensitivity you have in there because of these receptors that are midi-chlorians uh, just sh- sort of shows that the Jedi are, are really complacent and they, you know, they're kind of bored. You know, They've been sitting around with nothing better to do than study the force scientifically and they wind up with midi-chlorians and because they're so focused on midi-chlorians and taking children at a young age, they miss something so huge, which is the Sith coming back slowly and in in, in shadows and hidden and, and, and stuff like that. And so that's, so it's more of a representation of the failure of the Jedi and the prequel Jedi and how they couldn't live up to the, to the or they, how they sort of let their legend status slip because they didn't have anything to do. They didn't have anything to fight against. I mean, you know, I'm sure, you know, 
nobody would care about Hercules if he had if he just sort of sat around in his life. You know, you know, he studied things. You know, he, but because he's this, you know, he maybe occasionally did a fight here and there. But you know, but because he's this big warrior that you know did all these great things, everybody knows who Hercules is. Whereas, you know, and so everybody knows who the Jedi are because of what they did thousands of years ago. But when we see them in the prequels, they've had nothing to do. And well, that's true, exactly. I think I actually like that. What you're saying there is kind of enlightening because you really begin to see the same effect on the Sith in the original trilogy because Palpatine's supposedly the ruler of the galaxy. What purpose does he have left now? Obviously, he's so arrogant and, and, and conceitful that he doesn't need... He's not fighting anyone. What Jedi are around? The only thing he wants to do is turn Luke Skywalker to the dark side because he's got nothing better to do. You know, he's, he's controller of the galaxy. He's got this small rebel band, but... Although they've destroyed a Death Star, he pays little attention to that. The Senate's been disbanded. And really, there is no comparison between the Palpatine of the original trilogy and the Darth Sidious that we see in this arc being so manipulative, taking these four, these four sensitive children and, and looking to turn them into spies and they will be, you know, put into every corner of the galaxy from afar. I mean, that's all, you know, so, such an ingenious plan, really, isn't it? It's just taking these children that, could be brought up as Jedi, but instead bringing them up as dark Jedi and, and just placing them all around as is uh, for espionage purposes. I just think it's really, really interesting when you when you compared your example between the Jedi uh, of the prequel trilogy and then you look at the Sith in the original trilogy, and I see a lot of similarities in that. Oh yeah, purpose aspect that they got nothing better to do, and so that's what leads in part to their downfall because they're neglecting what's really happening in the world uh, through their either arrogance or just. Um, they just they just haven't thought about it. They they haven't considered it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's you know the Jedi have to fall for a reason, and it's, and it's more. It really it's it's more interesting on a you know on a discussion level and a, an intellectual level than just seeing them you know fight you know twenty thousand Sith in red faces. Although that would be very visually interesting it would lead very to leave very much for discussion so you know it's you know people always say oh you know or, you know some people will say oh those old republic trailers those are what the prequels should have been and it's like no they're not that's not interesting that's interesting for the five minutes that you're watching it and you know maybe the five you know the 15 minutes you spend re-watching it three more times but there's <laughs> nothing really there to discuss i mean you see darth malgus fighting that one jedi and you know i mean we could maybe debate darth malgus's form or, or that jedi's form <laughs> in terms of lightsaber skills and stuff but you know it's a lot more interesting to discuss you know how palpatine was able to you know use the corruption in the in the senate to overthrow the, the jedi and, and the republic and how the jedi became complacent whereas the sith had been active for a thousand years just in the shadows and you know and you know you read the darth plagueis novel and that for a reason is the best novel the star best star wars novel that has come out in a long time you know the old republic novels are good i've read a couple of them i, I quite enjoyed them they're great action adventures and there's some interesting characters and stuff in there but i you know if somebody recommends Asked me to recommend a Star Wars novel. It's Darth Plagueis because there's so much interesting stuff going on in there that really is is so much more you know um, intellectually stimulating yeah. than you know say um, the Deceived novel, which is a great novel. I encourage everybody to read as well, but read it after you've read Darth Plagueis. Get to the Darth Plagueis novel first. So yeah, it, 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 it again, it just sort of speaks to this issue of you know. You know, some fans may not, the prequels were not what people expected, 
but it probably was better off that way, <laughs> you know? And yeah, you're completely right there, because as much as the original trilogy is obviously uh, a people's favourite, and everyone says original V prequels, blah, 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 and they complain about the political nature of the prequels compared to the action-packed so-called hero-villain Mm-hmm. Uh, aspect that is it's a true adventure story in the original trilogy but at the same time i feel like the prequels just really amplify um my interest in the original trilogy because of the political side a throw a throwaway line when tarkin says the senate has been disbanded means nothing if you haven't seen the prequels really i mean i would i if i just watched that i'd say what's the senate i, I don't yeah. really care i don't <laughs> You think that? What is it? I don't care because I've never heard about it before this. You know, it's a throwaway line. They probably think, oh, whatever, it means nothing. And they don't even know who the emperor is. It all, you know, you can create a vision though. Now when I now when I look at that, I've got a picture of the Senate in my mind of what's happened to it. I've got a picture of Palpatine there. Of all of this, it, it, it makes it so much better. And similar to how the Plagueis novel and and a bit like this story as well. Uh, the, the, the arc that we're discussing here, they change your perception of the Star Wars universe and the Star Wars saga, and that's obviously the biggest compliment and the biggest reason to, because as you said, it's intellectually stimulating that we're able to talk about this uh, quite freely for a very long time, in depth, about really major concepts that are being discussed in this arc and other ones that we still haven't touched upon yet, but for, I mean, we're talking about the whole Jedi holocron aspect when they're trying to take these kids in into the Jedi Order at such a young age, bringing it back to this arc, then, you know, it's an interesting concept and, and something that you really didn't think about. And I like the idea of the midichlorian aspect because, to be honest, it, it, it does give a measurement of, of the Force and it really means that we're able to discuss exactly what it is and how you can measure between uh, someone like Yoda and someone like, I don't know, a clone trooper, for example, you know, what's the difference there? Why have they got, you, know, you can look at it and say, like, well, it's got a higher Metachlorian count. I, I have no problem with it. I know some people do, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's certainly more scientific, but it means that we can discuss it, and, and this is what we're doing now. So that was my mini rant, I guess, on yeah. we love the prequels, because a lot of people yes. bash the prequels, though, and it, and it is still frustrating, because it's just the same thing with, I'm going to continue this rant for a little bit more, but it's the same <laughs> thing with the whole Jar Jar and everyone. Oh no! Whenever I say it, like in the canteen room or something, people are like oh, oh, Jar Jar. Oh, you know, stop moaning. And I just think, you know, why on earth are we in this situation now? It's a saga now. One, we have to take it as it is. More importantly, I don't think there's anything wrong with the prequels at all. In actual fact, I think as you said. Uh, they're far more stimulating in terms of discussion than anything about the original trilogy. Uh, we could talk about that and say, yeah, we love it. Uh, we may well have enjoyed the films. I won't deny that. I'd probably say that Empire Strikes Back is my favourite. But then I'd probably put Revenge of the Sith as second favourite because I just feel like not just the action pieces, but the whole political side behind it and finding out um, how the Jedi have fallen is an interesting part of it. And another example of how this could be internationally stimulating is that I could put an example of the uh, of an essay question down and say uh, what I get in history questions is sometimes like, oh, uh, what caused the downfall, say, the provisional government in uh, Russia 1917? Well, you could easily go and say, well, what caused the downfall of the Jedi in uh, in Star Wars yeah. and write an essay on that. And you can say, well, look at these factors here, blah, 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 blah. But 
you know, it's a long-winded answer of me trying to bat the prequels and just say, listen, you have to take them for what they are. And although they might be more politicised, they might not have as much action, even though I do think they have a lot of action in them anyway. They may not be as adventure, uh, the old adventure story as uh, the original trilogy were, but I, I don't understand what people's uh, major problems are with it when they go and say, well, this is awful, this is awful, I don't like this, this should never be... I'm not even like they. Some people say I'm not even going to consider it part of the Star Wars universe. Well, it is okay. You got to take it for what it is. And to be honest, if it wasn't for the prequel trilogy, we wouldn't be here now talking about the Clone Wars because that wouldn't exist. And uh, there, that is the end of my rant. This is vote. Thank you. I I have nothing more to say. But that was a long-winded rant of me back in the prequels. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I would say I, I agree with that pretty much 100%. The only thing I'll say is we're not saying that the, the original trilogy isn't uh, intellectually stimulating. There's plenty of good stuff in there to debate and discuss, and and, and that's sort of where we're coming from is, is that there is just as much in the prequels, if not a little bit more. Um, but there's still definitely loads there to discuss, and I think you know even looking at the original trilogy, there's plenty more interesting going on in the Luke versus Darth Vader fight than again say the fights in the old Republic trailers and I, I hate to you know to, to, you know just keep putting those down but you know I, I it bugged me when people would say that they were what the prequels should have been because I, I really don't think they are there's not they're not as interesting and you know the Vader Luke fights are interesting because you know the first time it is just sort of a good versus evil fight. You know, Luke is thinking he's fighting the man who killed Obi-Wan and killed his father and all that, and then there's the twist. And then the fight in Return of the Jedi is such a personal battle. And, um, you know, same thing kind of goes in Revenge of the Sith. It's yeah. such a personal battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan, whereas, you know, in those Old Republic trailers, <laughs> there's sort of a, you know... It's just two guys that we don't really know unless you play the games and read the books. And even to an extent, even even if you do that, I, I still don't personally, I, I, mean, I don't have the same connection to those characters that I did, you know, Luke or, or, or Anakin or Obi-Wan or even Vader for that matter. Um, and, and so that's why I, I tend to pick on them a little bit more than, than other things. And, and a and, final point... Uh, I'm not going to go on another rant, but just a final point that you were making on that, which I completely agree with, is is, is some people will sometimes make the comment and say, well, you know, okay, the lightsaber fights in the prequel trilogy might be more visually stimulating, so to speak. They look good, but they haven't got that emotional connection behind them. Well, the example I would state is what you have said, Obi-Wan and Anakin. I think that is one of the biggest, uh, in terms of, you know, emotion behind that fight. It's huge, um, and and that's only been supported through going the process of episode one and episode two and episode three, and the Clone Wars as well, seeing how they were close friends, and then all of a sudden they they turn uh, against each other as major enemies, or Anakin turns against Obi Wan, and they become uh, almost the biggest enemies, uh, and and similar really to Luke and Vader with that emotional aspect. So, in terms of people writing off the, the prequels, as you said, and and I like your again your comparisons with the old Republic. Okay, the trailer looked good, but I had no care for it. I'm I'm not going to go and buy the video game because of the consequence of the trailer looking so good and uh, uh, thinking that the story is going to be so epic. That's why I want to buy it. No, I'd buy it because the visuals look good, but I wouldn't want to watch the film if that's what it's going to be a bit about. 
Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I complete. Well, would it Star Wars? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> What you're saying there is what I'm trying. What I'm trying to say, but not articulating well, is that I, I do agree with your points. Yeah, and and you know to the point that you know people say the whole thing of you know the the, the lightsabers and the pre- fights in the prequels you know didn't have the emotional backing to them. You know, if we just look at if we look at you know Phantom Menace first, you know this is the first time that the Jedi have seen the Sith in over a thousand years. Or almost a thousand years, right? So there is there is such a, a tenseness to this that, like, oh my god, something big is about to happen, and this is our sort of our one chance to really stop it, and and that's really the emotion behind the Darth Maul, um, um, Obi Wan Qui Gon fight, and you know, even though they they they, they, they essentially they fail, kind of, kind of, you know, they they don't really succeed in. In stopping, you know, the the oncoming storm, and, and then you know you look in, in Attack of the Clones. I, I could kind of agree with that, um, that they're they're a little bit more just for the the visuals, but it's also you know it's it's a culmination of of having seen and and lived through this first or live live through the whole you know the the two hours building up to that moment. So there is still the emotion of you know we've been chasing Dooku this whole time and we've finally gotten to him. Um, whereas, you know, in those trailers, they just sort of, they spark up their lightsabers and they just run at each other again. That's the old Republic. Well, Dooku and Yoda, and so don't if, forget they were old master and apprentice. There's a bit of an emotional yeah. backdrop, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, we might not be so hard on, on those old Republic trailers if we sort of saw the, you know, the two hour build up to that one big epic fight. But if you just see the epic fight, then I mean, and and then and then if you just see the epic fight and it's just like okay whatever that that was cool but I'm, I'm done with this, um, and then to hear people say that that's what the prequel should have been is absurd and that's kind of why I come down hard or, or why we're coming down hard on, on on those more so than anything because you know to be fair to them to be fair to them want to be fair to them they they didn't have you know they are just five minute little mini movies they aren't. Um, you know the full feature length, two hour epic showdown. So, exactly. Anyways, anyways, let's move on from that. There was a crazy tangent there. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I want to ask you this. Um, you know, Anakin uh, suggests reporting uh, what's going on to the Chancellor, um, and Mace Windu and Obi Wan sort of at first, you know, sort of say no. This is an internal matter, and then Anakin kind of talks them into it. And sort of then get, he gets sent off to do it. Um, and I, I, it's really, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting question of, you know, it's the blurring of the lines between the Jedi and the Re- Republic. Cause the Jedi, I think, are supposed to be separate from the Republic, but they've become to the point where they are the Republic's generals. And so I, in, in a perfect world or a perfect universe, I would ask you, I, I ask you, do, should the Jedi be reporting to the Chancellor? They probably shouldn't. If it's an internal Jedi affair, as Obi-Wan and, and Mace have said, then they shouldn't. But one who pipes up and supports the Chancellor is Anakin Skywalker. And yes. that's the reason why. <laughs> uh, it's quite funny when they go and say, like, yep, you can do it then. <laughs> and they're like, hang on a minute, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you don't want to pull it up, mate. But, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it should be. I'd... If it's an internal Jedi affair, then the Chancellor really has no grounds for it because he's the—he's obviously the leader of the—he's uh, the Supreme Chancellor of the Republic, but he's not the Supreme Chancellor of the Jedi Order. 
I think people always get that yeah. mixed up, really, that the Jedi are the keepers of the peace and justice, but they've really been worked into this war, and they seem to be, then, as a consequence, linked too close to the Republic. Um, they're not. They're a separate entity, really, but they, 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 they in a way, they, they, they serve the Chancellor, but the Chancellor doesn't get involved in the Jedi affairs. Um, that's none of his business, really. They, he can send them out and say, "Can you do this?" Uh, we're keen at Obi Wan and Qui Gon when he, the Chancellor sends, Chancellor Valorum sends Obi Wan and Qui Gon to Naboo as uh, delegates. But the yeah, Chancellor shouldn't be getting involved in this. But of course, we all know he's the Sith Lord and is pretty much dictatorial of the whole galaxy, and that's why he is getting involved. But if it was, say, Chancellor Valorum doing this, surely the Jedi would think, "No, this is none of your business." Um, so, yeah. would you would and, you go along and- with that? Yeah, absolutely. And if it hadn't been Chancellor Valorum, um, Anakin probably wouldn't have suggested that they go talk to him, you know? Yeah, exactly. It would have been, you know, nobody would have even thought, hey, we should check with Valorum, but because of Anakin's relationship with Palpatine. And, you know, in a way, you know, Anakin isn't Darth Vader yet, but he's almost subservient to Palpatine already. Yeah. Which is an interesting idea, and it's kind of unfortunate for the Jedi. Well, I'll tell you what, can we, um, quickly pick up on that scene and when we see Anakin and Palpatine in his office I think that's yeah. a great scene that is uh, one of my favorite it's beautifully scenes. lit <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's a beautiful scene yeah it's a very it, it's I, it didn't I, I did there wasn't anything in the scene in terms of the dialogue that really um, stuck out to me as as uh, quite groundbreaking but it, it was it was for one, it was interesting to see that Anna, that uh, Palpatine didn't want Ahsoka in there. Well, no, I thought there was one bit. was when they talk about, well, two bits, actually. One, this is quite jokingly, but when Palpatine says, I hear an arrest was made in a plot to destroy the Jedi. Why does yeah. Palpatine <laughs> understand the concept of this until episode three? Palpatine is telling Anakin this. Surely, Ace Windu must also think that this is a plot to destroy the Jedi. And, yeah. Uh, I guess that's neither here nor there. But Anakin believes that somebody else is responsible for this, doesn't he? He goes and, and then, <laughs> I love Palpatine's expression of like, oh, <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> but then, <laughs> and he's just like, uh, oh, do you have any idea then? Because Anakin obviously says that he doesn't think it's Dooku who's behind this. He thinks it's somebody else more powerful. Um, and I just quite yeah. like the idea that Anakin is being more intuitive about this. And he, he does suspect something else behind all this. I'm sure that Je- some Jedi must have a similar idea, believing that. This is not all Count Dooku, surely. But, oh, yeah. But they don't I'm know who sure it that's, is, do they? That's, 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 that's the yeah. thing that I got that was interesting from that. And then the final part, yeah, I, can I, carry on, Dominic. I was just going to say, I bet that you know Mace Windu and, and Obi-Wan and, and Yoda probably all think that... None of them probably think this is Dooku. They probably wonder, or, or at least wondering if there's you know, a darker hand at play here than even Count Dooku. So uh, I, I agree with you there. And also I thought there was a really cool shot at the end of that when you see Anakin and uh, Palpatine just looking over. I thought that resembled so much them in episode three at the end with Darth Vader and uh, yes. Palpatine looking <laughs> over the construction of the Death Star. I thought it was just uh, great visually. Again. And as we said, this is the first time really that Joel Aaron's been uh, the CG supervisor and it certainly played his part in, uh, in this particular arc for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous scene. Like just the, the sunset and everything. It was very, very impressive. It was impressive. Most impressive. Alright, uh, so do you have any other points you'd like to bring up from this arc? Um, 
All right, just one final point. I know we've been talking about this for a very long time, but it goes to show how much good stuff there is in this arc, really. But, I mean, yeah. we, we have touched a little bit on Sidious, but, I mean, that whole plot of having to use and uh, uh, these children as forced, talented spies, and uh, what did you make of it all? And what did you make of seeing Darth Sidious in this arc as well? Because it's really, I believe, the first time we see him prominently involved in an arc in the Clone Wars, such as this, really. Yeah, yeah, no, I, well, I think the idea of, of the Force trained spies, I think that was a bit of a shout out to the, the, uh, expanded universe fans and, and, and Mara Jade, because that's essentially what she was. I mean, she had the, the official title of Emperor's Hand, but I, I sort of got the idea that that's kind of what she was, is as sort of a, a spy for the Empire, or some kind of little agent for, for the, agent for the Empire. And, and so this sort of idea that he, that this is already an idea that Palpatine, or, or Sidious, I guess I should say, has all the way back during the Clone Wars kind of sets up a lot of what comes to be in later expanded universe material. And of course, remember, this was long before anybody had even considered that there would be an episode seven. So, you know, while we might not see Mara Jade ever again, or on, on screen, we might see someone who's sort of this kind of spy thing that, that Palpatine set up and maybe in some kind of spin-off film set between episodes three and four or four and five, you know, because that seemed to be where the rumors suggest that the next, um, that the first, uh, spin-off films will be. So that could be a, that could be something fun that sort of an accidental setup in these episodes. So they thought they were setting up one thing when they turned out to be setting up something completely different. And then as for seeing Darth Sidious, I just, anytime you see Darth Sidious in there is always, it's always great. And, you know, Dave Filoni said in the, in the bonus feature about this arc, you know, it's always important to keep seeing Darth Sidious and keep remembering that all of this is his doing and all of this is his plan and all of this is working towards his goal. And it's, you know, he's the one that's controlling everything. He's the ultimate puppet master. And that's why, you know, they would keep coming back to him. And, and it's important that we see this and that, you know, he does have, he has grand plans that he's trying to get started before he even gets his empire going. And, you know, maybe he thought, you know, if the Clone War keeps going and going and if you can't get it to an end, which, you know, could be a big mistake on his part, you know, maybe some of these Force-sensitive spies of his could play a part in if the Clone Wars had played out longer. And we kind of, we kind of are going to see this in Rebels. I just remembered this. The Inquisitor. Of course. This is basically, yeah, I can't believe it. Completely forgot about the Inquisitor. Um, but yeah, we, we have, we'll have the Inquisitor in, in Rebels to probably play the role that he was talking about here. Um, of this sort of this force sensitive spy who's going to be, you know, trying to track down Kanan, Ezra, Hera, Sabine, and Chopper. Uh, and, and, uh, Zeb. So, <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, a little, little bit of setting up there. Um, you know, it just show, goes to show that the, how the Clone Wars is, will will affect Rebels, maybe not in the direct way that we want it to right away, but it'll be affected in, in smaller ways. Um, so yeah, that's what I thought of Darth Sidious. What do you think uh, of, of those ideas? Yeah, I, I thought great ideas, by the way, Dominic. I completely agree with the, <laughs> the, uh, the Force-talented spies element uh, and having the Sith Inquisitor there. It's just, again, it goes to show the cunning nature that Darth Sidious really is. Where, uh, as, as Filoni said, he is that... The, the puppet master isn't he behind everything and it, yeah. we have to see him uh at some point don't we because look, because he is so involved but whenever he's on screen you just pay more attention because you just want to know exactly what he's saying and uh i, I love 
I just get the image though in that Mustafar scene with the Darth Sidious and the kids that he's like the creepy old man. Like when he's just like, <laughs> there, there, child, you will cry no more. It's like, oh. like, the poor kids. Yeah. I mean, really, that's what the face you want to see every day, isn't it? Really. Well, you don't even get to see a face, you just get to see a hologram of a, of a man with a cloak on. So it's even weirder. But um, yeah, it's just. He's just such a great villain, and uh, I, I take in everything he says. Uh, and I, I just love the fact that we see this cruel nature as well, because we always, we usually see Palpatine, the politician, as this really amicable, benign figure. Uh, but then, yeah. then <laughs> nice guy. Yeah, and then you see Palpatine, <laughs> the complete polar opposite to this. And he says uh, when he's talking to Cad Bane, and Cad Bane's like kidnapping innocent children. That's a small time crime. And he's like, among the children of the Jedi, there. Oh, no innocence and it's just you know uh, he really it's just I just love seeing that malevolent side so uh, I just wanted to make a really comment on that because I thought whenever Darth Sidious is involved there's no way we can be leaving him out in discussion <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely alright so let's move on to our favorite quotes uh, do you have some favorite quotes from this from this arc here favorite quotes from this arc i do indeed um am i organized enough to read them out right now no i am not <laughs> because no. I'm okay. always, i always <laughs> have been this but i just have too many down um so i'll let you go first as i will find from the huge number a couple to choose okay well I, i've got two uh i i I didn't uh, pick one from each episode this time. Not mostly because there are so many great ones that you know in, in any other arc, you know, there would have been so many different ones to pick. But there are just two that really, really stood out to me. One was was the uh, was Toto's line that I already mentioned. You know, of, you know when he pops through into the communication center and there's Yoda, Mace, <laughs> Ayla, and Kit Fisto standing there. You know, it's just hey guys. Just text, testing the access hatch works great. And he's you know, trying to step back in and <laughs> it was just a great little bit of humor. And I think it really represented Toto, um, and, and his personality. And then the other one is in, uh, children of the force. And it's just the whole, um, mind tricking, uh, Cad Bane scene, but where Anakin, Obi-Wan and Mace Windu, you know, these are, you know, two Jedi council members and the chosen one all essentially torturing Cad Bane's mind. And it's a very, it's a kind of a dark scene, and again, it kind of questions the Jedi Order. Uh, and I <laughs> meant to bring it up earlier, but completely forgot about it, <laughs> or completely skipped over it. But so uh, while you're getting your quotes together, I will actually throw you another question <laughs> and ask you: What did you think of, of the whole uh, mind trick scene with Cad Bane? Oh yeah, that was such an epic scene. Uh, that's some. There's so many like standout moments from this arc that I keep. Well, that's what I keep labeling them as. But there's just so many, and that's obviously one where you see the Jedi really at, at their most darkest side, I guess, because you see really them all basically torturing Cad Bane, particularly an element that you, sorry, uh, that you wouldn't really see in the in the Star Wars. Uh, sorry, uh, on the Jedi on the Jedi's part because they often say that torturing is not the Jedi way and uh, yeah they're right there trying to mind trick this uh, Cad Bane into really forcing him to tell to tell them who he's working for and uh, where the children are and um, you can see the agony in, in Cad Bane as well uh, but I just like how that whole 
the sound element works, but also how um, the reaction of Cad Bane, in my opinion, really gives the impression of how dangerous and how painful this is, really. You know, he's, he's, in, he's basically in excruciating pain, but he's also so close to saying it, and that's what I love as well, when he, he's so close to succumbing to them, and then he quickly snaps out of it, isn't he? It's almost like the psyche in his mind is, is telling him to, to bow to their will, and yet he's, he manages to snap <laughs> out of it just in time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, is, is that kind of the same impression that you would have got? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It kind of goes back to what we were saying about the Jedi losing their way in that, you know, they had always, you know, they had, they had been this legend that, you know, they would never touch the dark side. And in this scene, they really come close to touching the dark side. They're, you know, Mace Windu even says, you know, his mind could, you know, you lo- could essentially lose his mind. And, you know, the sound effects kind of portray that as they're doing this Jedi mind trick on him all three of them together you know two Jedi masters and uh, and the chosen one I don't think many people would stand a chance and yeah so my, my favorite quote from that scene was just after they, they've done it and Anakin just goes maybe we should try it again <laughs> and, and then I sort of got Cad Bane to to uh, yeah spill the beans uh, sort of and, that, and that's the thing about Cad Bane is you know even though they were able to, to do this like torture to him to you know sort of get him get some information out of him he still tricks them later on and that's you know the great thing about Cad Bane is that even even when you think he's lost you can't completely um, give up you can't give up on him because he's going to <laughs> you know if you turn your back he's going to stab you <laughs> essentially uh, and so yeah so uh, yes, have you found I your have, quotes yet I've got my quotes here now it took a bit of time but you threw right. me off with the questions that's why I'm playing <laughs> uh, yeah, right, I've got one from Holocron Heist, a Holocron Heist, I should say, um, when when Bane and Toto are trying to, well, Bane's trying to break through the Holocron vault, and then Toto's trying to open the, the in, into the, oh, I don't know what exactly what you call it, the ventilation shaft, I'm going to call it, and then, I can't remember what Toto <laughs> says, but Bane's just like, some butler droid you turned out to be, and he's like, oh, yes. he's not happy with Bane there, that was quite funny. Um, in Cargo of yeah. Doom, um, I've got uh, two Bane ones. I just think they're so cool. But I, I think I've already mentioned this one when I was like, he says, are you a medical droid? No, sir. Then step back and shut up. Yeah. I like it with New Gunray and Bane when he just says, uh, Bane, I hope you can pay for all this. I want my money. And then he's like, you can count on it. I just think that's like a cool line more than anything else rather than a funny line. But it's just... Bane's such a cool character, so there's so many good lines I could pick from. And this one just made me laugh, right? There's, there's kind of a bit of context to this, but at the beginning of the Children of the Force episode, Obi-Wan says it was most unfortunate that Bane was allowed to escape again. And then at the end, um, Ahsoka, when we're talking in the Jedi ch- Council chamber after all the events have happened with the Mustafar and, and, the ch- and Bane has escaped, and then it says, oh, well, at least we've still got Bane. And then, he, and, then, and, then, and then you see all the Jedi Council just like looking at each other like oh no and Ahsoka was like oh he got away again and nobody one goes and says the important thing is the children are safe and we have the holocron I'm just like that and yeah. Yeah. in this episode you were just like oh Bane's been allowed to escape again when he loses him he's just like doesn't matter doesn't matter whatever Bane's gone uh, you know yeah. it's neat all there it was a 
It was a bit of Obi-Wan kind of, you know, getting a taste of his own medicine. He's usually the one, well, and I can't believe Anakin let him get away again. And then, you know, Obi-Wan let Bane get away and Anakin kind of gets to be like, well, I succeeded in my mission. And Obi-Wan, how'd you do in yours? Never mind. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I definitely, I quite enjoyed that, that, that scene as well. And that was definitely, that was on the short list for me of, of, of stuff that could have been one of my quotes. Alright, so that is going to pretty much wrap things up for this arc. Kieran, final thoughts and score out of 10. Gonna give this arc a 9 out of 10. I think this is a fantastic arc. No, I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna go 9.5 out of 10. This arc, I think, yeah. I think, um, <laughs> I gave the right arc a 9 out of 10, and I think this arc is better, personally. And there's just so much good stuff in this, really, isn't it? I like the fact that it, the ramifications of this arc are still big, in my opinion. It involves the major players, the Jedi, the Sith, and it involves the plot that Palpatine has behind everything, really. It goes to show that he's still involved in this uh, prominently, but more importantly, we see the Darth Sidious element. And, and, and I think it's just good to see that there, mm-hmm. to make sure, as Dave Filoni has said, that we realise that Palpatine and Sidious, the same person, obviously, they're behind this whole thing. Uh, just seeing the ramifications of that in in uh, the Star Wars saga is, is obviously huge. You get to see the Holocron and Cad Bane as well. This is really our first introduction, if we're going chronologically, of Cad Bane. And he's just such an epic and cool villain. We've talked about it for a long time, yeah. but... He is so, so good, and uh, I'm just so glad that we've been introduced to a character like him. I think it really raised the state and uh, amplified the popularity of this series. And then a final point on just the animation, the sound, all of it, the action as well. The main elements of this were all pretty much perfect, and the only reason it's not getting a 10 out of 10, really, is again because there are probably better arcs out there, but I, I just think this is amazing in terms of the animation by Joel Aaron, which uh, we'll start to see more of his work in the upcoming arcs now. As he, this is really his first introduction and into uh, the Clone Wars in terms of the anima- the animation that he utilizes. It's just fantastic, and uh, that's why I'm giving it a nine point five out of ten. So Dominic, over to you. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give this arc. A 10 out of 10. It definitely belongs in the pantheon of the best of the Clone Wars. Up there with some of the stuff from seasons 3, 4, and 5. It is absolutely stunning visually. It's a great story. Um, and it, that doesn't just rely on all that war. Um, it, it, it introduces us to an incredible, incredible villain who is going to recur throughout the series and hopefully throughout the Star Wars universe as a whole. And then, of course, uh, just the, it, it, it kicked things up a notch visually in terms of storytelling and, and even in the sound and, and music for this arc. You know, it really, you know, this was the premiere for season two and it definitely, you know, um, came out, you know, guns blazing saying Clone Wars is back and better than ever. So, yes, 10 out of 10 for this arc. So that will wrap things up for this episode. Make sure you listen to this show every other Tuesday. You can find it on the Star Wars Underworld iTunes feed and StarWarsUnderworld.com. While you're over at the iTunes feed and StarWarsUnderworld.com you might as well check out the Star Wars Underworld podcast, which is my other sh- my other show, which you can listen to every Thursday night live on channel 1138.com or by downloading it on iTunes or from the website on Friday. Uh, Kieran, what's coming up on Expression on FM Expression this week? Expression FM, unfortunately, because 
everyone's away from uni. We've actually got a four-week hiatus. Ah. So there will oh, be no God. more expression <laughs> for the next four weeks, unfortunately. But um, the usual formats, if everyone, anyone wants to listen, uh, I, I guess I'll mention next time. But we've, we've just finished a charity match on Sunday, it was, and that was absolutely fantastic. We had a great turnout. We unfortunately lost the game 1-0, but that was neither here nor oh. there, though. It was all for charity, and that was the main <laughs> aim of all of this, is to raise a lot of money. And we managed to break the record, which last year was £2,000, and I think it's somewhere around the 2500 nice. mark. So I think it was a, a fantastic turnout, and uh, I can't speak highly of expression and, and all the work that the sports team has put into this, but... Next time I'm on here, I will give you more information on the links because then we'll be back in motion very, very soon, no doubt. And uh, yeah, all is good with Expression FM, but not for the next four weeks, unfortunately. However, <laughs> uh, you can listen to some of my show, uh, some of my shows on there on Mixcloud, which is www.mixcloud.com. If you look at Kieran Bradders Duggan, and I've had segments on Star Wars soundtracks actually. Because I thought there's been oh, nice. uh, there's, there's not been much in terms of film soundtracks, but I do play. Uh, I don't have much time, but I play a song from each of the films that I most enjoyed. And uh, so, if you are bored and uh, you're going to the gym or going for a walk somewhere, you want to listen to some Star Wars soundtracks for free, then you can do so on that show. And uh, that's all I have to say on that and Expression FM. But tune in, guys, and uh, thank you very much for mentioning that, Dominic. Yeah, no problem, no problem. And uh, you can get in touch with this show by sending us an email, clonewarsstrikesback at gmail.com. You can send us your thoughts on this arc or the next arc, which we'll be talking about. is actually kind of not really an arc. We'll be talking about the episode Bounty Hunters and then the Zillow Beast uh, two-parter. So it's kind of an arc and a little bit there um, for you next time. Uh, that'll be... Uh, two weeks from now and of course you can follow us on twitter at tcw strikes back and you can follow me personally at dominic j25 and you can follow kieran at c duggan six and then of course don't forget to like us on facebook that's facebook.com slash clone wars strikes back or just search clone wars strikes back on facebook uh in in the between in between shows, be sure to check out StarWarsUnderworld.com for all the latest breaking Star Wars news, including Episode 7, Rebels, uh, spin-off films, whatever else is coming up. And you can also find out about the hashtag ThankTheCloneWars campaign there. We're looking to collect voicemails and emails and, and text messages of, of just thanking the Clone Wars cast and crew for six incredible years of content. So be sure to check that out on StarWarsUnderworld.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening for The Clone Wars Strikes Back. I'm Dominic. He's Karen. May the Force be with you. And we on the air? I always always panic over this part now. And I don't like Chris does it. He just just clicks go, and then we go. But for me, I'm like... Are we actually... Yeah, gotta make sure it's actually working. Yeah, man, of people, <laughs> we, we've had it. Basically, I can understand. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always like, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then when I download it, there's like, you know, 10 seconds of us just going, is it starting to get? Brilliant. Yeah. Alright. Loading. Loading. Okay. <laughs> it's been going for 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
And there, there are two other people in the who are apparently listening. I don't know that they're guests, so whatever. I don't care about them. Screw the listeners. I hate all of them, anyways. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not doing live calls. You can listen in, but you can say nothing. We don't want any. We don't want any messages either. All right. Cut that out. Yeah. No, no chat. Chat is forbidden. Post that in the chat. One time there was the, the weird echo thing happening, and I just forgot to take it out, and so I think it's in the in one of the download versions. Oh. It was like, okay, wait a minute. Hold on. I gotta fix this. Okay, I'm gonna hang up and try again. Okay, this is better. Alright, I just gotta remember to edit this out. Oops! <laughs> there was one time, I think, I don't know why, but my school just went, and then it's just you going, working, like, just hear you in the back. <laughs> and, then, and then I'll come back on. I was just thinking, hang on, is he saying anything about me? What's she saying about me on my back? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> that goddamn bread yeah, with his, with his funny accent, <laughs> he, can, he can talk me over my... <laughs> hey! Hey, buddy! We were just talking about you! Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history of Star Wars The Clone Wars by... Um, I, blah, 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 I'm starting again. I also think my voice kind of cracked when I said six. Yeah. Six years of... Yes, man. Welcome to Strikes Back Clone Wars Podcast. <laughs> Mr. Saxons, we welcome you to the podcast! Yeah! Something turned into Kermit at the end there. Yeah! <laughs> oh, no. Jar Jar doing a Kermit impression. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Probably somebody. <laughs> We'll get into the ban arc in a second, but first, Misa just wants to thank you for just his kind words about the Gungan impressions. Okay, um, let's, talk, let's talk about. <laughs> Yay! Um, let's. All right. Let's... <laughs> No. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Edit this out. <laughs> Apologies. Yeah. <laughs> Hello again, everybody, and welcome to an episode. <laughs> Can't get my words right. <laughs> Who's talking? 